Hey everybody, you are listening to the We Are Rising podcast, your source for all things Ryzen and JMMA, news, features, interviews of fighters, etc., etc. This is your host, Andrew Benjamin, and I'm joined once again by my faithful co-host, all the way from Focus Fights, Jay Christian Gary. Gary, 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 Gary. <laughs> Thanks for the multiple echoes, Andrew. Thank you. No problem. No problem, uh, Christian. And with us on the phone, we have special guest Teep to the Junk, who will be reviewing with us the Bellator 222 show that just happened this past Friday at Madison Square Garden in New York City. And Teep, once again, great to have you on to talk about this, this incredible show that just happened. So yes, we got. We're here to talk about Bellator two twenty two, and Teep, I want you to start off. What did you think of this card overall? Oh, it's fucking sweet. All kinds of great matchups. A lot of emotions going back and forth, and it wasn't all predictable. Like it wasn't like a, a feel good squash match card. There was a lot of competitive matchups, and not everything went the way your casual fan or casual observer, and even some pundits thought it would. But uh, there was a lot of, there were like back and forth, there were comebacks, it was, the card pretty much had everything from the hottest young prospects who were untested to the hottest tested prospects all the way to the legends and title fight was just, can't say enough about it. The Gooch got loose and then unified bantamweight belts, I say that puts him number one in the world, what do you think guys? I agree. Mm-hmm. The two belts is in full effect. What do you think, uh, Chris? What do you think of the show overall, Christian? I thought it was a fun show, to be honest with you. Even though there were some moments that I wish were, even though there were some moments I wish didn't happen, you know. Oh, uh, oh, uh, you mean like outcomes of fights, probably? Yeah. I got you. I got I you. Mean, you can say that. Oh yeah. Yeah, Mr. Koga said they're going to do like the farewell tour, so they're going to take him to certain cities around the world 
to do fights, and it looks like Barnett is going to be one of them. The ill-fated affliction booking that still needs to happen. So he, yes. he also mentioned Rampage as a possible opponent, although Rampage is on record saying he doesn't really want to fight Fedor. That's his favorite fighter. He doesn't really want to fight his hero, you know? Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I'm not surprised that Josh Barnett... You know, as soon as Josh Barnett signed with, with Bellator, I was like, okay, they got to be booking Fedor and, and Barnett. That's the only reason why they signed Barnett, I think. Or one of the main reasons, I have to believe. Yeah, I think also because sure. Barnett has a, he has a passionate fan base that follows him around. So it just makes sense for them. This guy's a free agent. They, they let the Grand Prix play out, and then they were like, let's grab that guy. We'll put him in. Barnett Karatanov. Or the winner of Mitrio and Karatanov, maybe they're fighting at Bellator, I think, 224. Yeah. yeah, I think it was just announced today, that I, or, or this past week, yeah, that, that the rematching. Uh, for those that didn't see the first match, it ended, what was it, like in the first 15 seconds by accidental nut shots? Yeah, yeah, he, he gave him a lead, a lead leg kick right in the Johnson. Oh my god, like, what the, the just that's, that, oof. He I, was I, a literal to the junk. Yes. <laughs> Close, yeah. I mean, he used the top of the foot. It's, I mean, it was supposed to be an inside kick, I'm pretty sure, and he slid over. But, yeah, that one hurt, man. Sergey, I felt so bad for him. Um, oh, but, uh, regarding, uh, so, just to go back to the Bellator 2, well, uh, how, did, uh, did they say how many fights uh, Fedor was going to be fighting? Did they say it was going to be five or six? No, he said it would be, it would be basically cover the rest of his career. I would guess maybe five fights, two years, but... You know, they have a good relationship and there's trust there and we can see how Coco gets so much done because he is, he can be trusted. Like even Chael Sonnen when he retired, he said he had some agreements with Coco. Some of the day he just did on a handshake and he always honored it. And that just goes a long way. Someone like Fedor doesn't want to be picked around. So it makes sense that he would stay there. His whole team is there practically, or a lot of his team. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So him being there, that'll open up opportunities for Moldavsky, for Nemkov, for Tokov, for the younger Tokov, who's a lightweight rather than a middleweight and starting out, and baby Fedor is still there. He's still actually pretty young. He's not even, you know, he just got knocked out, but he's, you know, he's a good solid fighter, combat sambo world champ, so I think it just works for the brand, and then you have the greatest of all time as a brand ambassador. So you think, he'll stay, on, you think he'll stay on even after he, uh, after he finishes up fighting, his fight contract? at all that, that he would I mean they, they've built this relationship Coker like most importantly when Fedor was moving around Coker never had a bad thing to say about him so like you can look at other uh, promotions sometimes they either only have good things to say when a guy's with them or they'll actually attack them when they're somewhere else and so they have the kind of relationship where Ryzen and Bellator can, can use him as a brand ambassador and ambassador for the whole sport because you can't really find footage of Fedor talking shit about anything really Mm-hmm. Well, actually, speaking of Ryzen, do you think he'll do any fights with Ryzen while on his, um, I guess, uh, t- retirement tour? You know what? I wouldn't be surprised if Coker and Sakakabar tried to put Rampage and Fedor or Rampage or, or Fedor and Barnett in the Ryzen ring. But you never know. It might be the Bellator wants to get the most out of the fights they do have. Mm-hmm. So from what they said, like uh, when Gucci came over, that didn't actually count as a fight on his contract, but he was paid by Bellator per the stipulations of his contract. I got so you. Maybe, so maybe maybe that is good news and they could um, they send Fedor over there and just on a gentleman's agreement that's not actually going to chip a fight off the contract they'll still get their full payment. If he's going 
you know, travel around to cities, including some cities I've never been to, it's kind of, um, you know, like for me, it blows my hair back just thinking about where they could take Fado and who they could put him up against. There are a lot of legends out there. Tito wants another fight, right? So he's with Combat Americas, but what about a co-promoted Combat Americas Bellator event that both on the zone? Have Tito fight Fado, how about that shit? Tito and That would be hmm. fun. I watched the shit out of that, especially the press conferences, because Tito, I mean, he's his own traveling show when he's on the mic, and Fedor is just always kind of quiet, nice little, looks like a librarian. I, I think it'd be kind of surreal. Like, I could get into that. Okay, and uh, let's go back to the Bellator 222 card. Um, 18 fights. We had a lot of finishes. I think over half of the card had finishes. I think, I think it was about 12 finishes on the entire card, which is very good. Um, very, very, very good. Uh, I'm curious to know, are there any fights uh, on the prelims that you want to specifically talk about, Teep, uh, that you thought are important or uh, that, are, yeah, that, that have, uh, I guess, uh, important ramifications or anything of that sort? Not just because Bellator is broadcast internationally, but because Raina has, she has a fan base already, and I'm in it. So she made a real statement there, and a lot of people give her respect. She wouldn't get beating even a more well-rounded fighter from who's who's less known. Mm -hmm. Not that not that not the young lady is is isn't well-rounded, but the wrestling aspect is a vulnerability that seems to manifest at the higher levels for her. So she got a big a big name win right there. That's worth mentioning for sure. And uh, Valerie Lareda, she fought Hooters Girl and um, looked good. She was she didn't run her over like her first opponent, but um, they had a good back and forth fight, and she was throwing those body kicks. I was loving that because uh, there's got there's certain athletes that use them. Like Rockhold is good to throw to the body, kick to the body a lot, but it's been a little bit underused. So uh, that was nice to see. So she got a good second fight on a um, stage. What did you guys think of that fight? I can't. I'm sorry. I can't remember who to go. Who does girls' name? So that's just going to be a name. What do you guys think of that one? Wait a minute. You were talking about the circuit women's fight, the Heather Hardy Taylor Turner fight. Say that again. You were talking about the Heather Hardy Taylor Turner fight, right? No, no. Um, Valerie Loretta, the Taekwondo master, mistress. Oh, Larkin Dash. Well, uh, Loretta and Larkin Dash. Right. So Dash is the Hooters. Yes. Yes. Oh, right, right, right. Did you guys watch that fight? Because it was a good back and forth. It wasn't like a. It wasn't a squash match that people were kind of saying it was going to be. They had a pretty good hard fight. I thought they both looked pretty good in that one. Oh, I thought it was. I thought it was a very fun fight, especially when uh when uh. Wait a minute! You guys are waiting to hear my reaction to that fight. Actually, yeah, yeah, you go ahead, Christian. I want to, let's hear your, your reaction first. Well, to be honest, I originally thought that, obviously, Larkin Dash did not belong because this woman, Hooters girl, I, I mean, obviously, a Hooters girl, you know, she basically <laughs> felt like she didn't belong in that. I mean, in the fight, but as the fight went on, you know, it's crazy. I mean, as the fight went on, she pulled her own weight, you know, done her best to keep going. 
<laughs> I was always about dash. I thought that, yeah, especially near like I think it was the maybe in the yeah. the end of the first round where she got like a really nice punch into Alreda. Uh, um, but I just you know I think definitely she uh, dash. You know she's zero and two now. I definitely don't. I don't know if she's is she mm, is she belt is she worthy of coming back and having another fight at Bellator? You think? I don't know. I Though you know, I was, she didn't go down for those with, with those body shots. I'll say that those like those nasty body kicks. I she she uh she held her own against those. Right, it wasn't like she was. It wasn't like uh she got blown out. They had a really good fight. I really enjoyed. That was actually one of my favorite fights of the night. And it wasn't it wasn't one of my most anticipated, but as it played out, I was like, holy shit! Both these girls are tougher than I'll ever be. <laughs> But no doubt, the, the, that fight was basically there to put over Loretta as a uh, as one of Bellator's uh, uh, mainstays, I'm guessing, or future mainstays. Yeah, yeah. But as a backup, like we talked about last time, there's always a backup. So the backup was if Hooters Girl wins, she got a lot of notoriety for the, the manner of the signing and being pretty. And uh, so it, it's really a win-win either way. It's just one win is bigger than the other one. That's kind of how the promoting works at its at, at its highest aspiration. Mm-hmm. I see. I see. You always, you always win. The question is, how much do you win? Sometimes it goes wrong. Like when Pico fought Zach Freeman, people didn't know Freeman. They didn't know he fought for a regional title of lightweight. So when he lost, it did. It, there, there wasn't a brand, but they put him on a main card versus Sadawat. He got another. You know, he coming off the win, he did main card at, at uh, Penn State. So, so they do seem to like keep people around a little better. They're not just like throw you away. It's not like. You know, uh, what's it? What's his name who beat CM Punk up? Dana's all yelling at him saying he should go back to this and acting like mm. he was part, part was of it. She's that booked the fight. Jackson? Like, my, oh, my, whoever booked that shit, he's an idiot. You know, it's like, that was you, bro. Mike Jackson, uh, Christian said. Uh, it was Mike Jackson. Yeah, the, uh, the journalist, MMA journalist guy turned uh, fighter. Right, so they tried to find someone who was inexperienced and bad enough by their estimation to lose to CM Punk. You can't do it when the guy is basically the worst fighter in the organization. Not through, not because it's his fault. He just, he's he's old in body years, and he doesn't come from a competitive background. So 
he got beat up on doing action theater, so of course he's not very good. It's just how it goes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What can you do? It's not his fault. He got a lot of money. I'm happy for him, but, uh, yeah, so Mike Jackson beat him up, and then Dana kind of threw, you know, MJ under the bus. Like, why would you do that? Why would you basically tell the world you're a fucking creep to put it on and then, you know, shit on it? So I like that Coker doesn't do that. He doesn't... The, the harshest thing he'd say, like, with Dada 5000 after he almost died, and then he'd be like, maybe Bellator and Dada should just be friends. That was his version of saying, like, yeah. we're not going to book, book him again. But that's not harsh. That's just... It's kind of lighthearted. I like that. Well, as you're speaking of Aaron Pigo, let's talk about that fight. Uh, Adam Boric, the uh, the uh, undefeated, still undefeated prospect from Hungary, uh, now fighting at, uh, is it, uh, does he fight out of, which, where was he fighting out of again? Uh, ATT, is it? I think so. I thought he was training out of ATT. I believe it was American Top Team. But, uh, yeah, he finished uh, um, uh, Baron Pico in the second round with a flying knee. I guess that's going to become his signature uh, thing now, is the flying knee, since it's the second time that he has finished a fight. Uh, with that uh, move. Yeah, he, he, he said that's his favorite technique. He said it in the post-fight that that's his favorite one. So I guess he's been getting better and better at it, and now he's landing it. Guys better look out trying to take Adam, Adam Boric down. Serious. But the question is now, what about Ad, Aaron Pico? What do you do with Aaron Pico now if you're Bellator? <laughs> Teep, what do you think? Oh, Christian, what do you what do you, what do you do with Aaron Pico now that he's Well, up? to be honest, what really can you do? I mean, Aaron Pico has wasted all his profitability, you know, by just losing. I mean, granted, yeah, he's fought all of his fights in Bellator, but I don't know. Maybe the dude needs to rethink his career and think. Uh, uh, you know, do I, I want to go to the Olympics or do I want to go to, you know, fight some more? Or should I basically go back to the or should I basically go back to the drawing board with Jackson Winklejohn? Sorry, the team, what you what were you asking, uh, Christian? I'm not saying not consider not. I mean, I'm not saying he should consider ending his fighting career and not fighting. I think he should probably rethink his options. I think he. I think what he like. He needs a boxing style build up. He tried to do it the other way. Most people can't do it. Mark Hunt did it. He beat Krokop and Vanderlei in their primes in his third and fourth fight. Most people lose those kind of fights. I mean, obviously, Pico's not fighting guys on the level of those legends, but he's fighting above his levels. The way I look at it is if Pico fought someone else who was four and three, what do you think he would do to them? Hmm. He might kill her. He might put him in the hospital. If he fought someone that was say, you know, who doesn't have twice as many wins as losses and isn't like super experienced, he's going to destroy someone on his own level. But he was billed as the guy who was above everyone at his level, at his experience level. But that he's not. Like, I mean, he, he pro- I'm sorry, he probably is, but he's not better than Someone like Boris has a lot more experience. That was his, what, 13th fight? And he's won them all. He only knows how to win. He's not, and he's young as well. And, and Corrales is just underrated. People don't realize how good Corrales is or maybe who he's fought, what the, who, the level of those guys. There's a lot of, like, 
people equating fame to ability. Like if you've never heard of Prime Fedor, when I when I, I was super casual, but when Fedor fought Krokop, I knew who Krokop was. Like who's this other motherfucker? He's about to get destroyed. And I was only halfway paying attention to the sport, but I did I did see that just because I didn't know who Fedor was, it just meant I didn't know about him. It had nothing to do with skill and ability. By the way, I just want to, just want to correct, just quickly correct something. He, he trains out of Hard Knocks 365 of Henry Hoof, non-American top team. Oh, so, so he fights Florida. Yeah, I was getting my Florida teams mixed up, but uh, sorry, uh, Teep, go ahead. No, no, that's good information. Does um, is Rock Salt still training there? Rockhold? Yeah. I Rock thought. Salt. Rock Salt. That's that's oh, like what I call it. Rockhold. Emotional. He's one of he's my favorite Team, I just want to know who would you f put Aaron Pico against uh, at the at a future Bellator show? Would you put him on some on the Bellator roster? Or would you just get some regional MMA guy? Like, what would you what would you do if you're Scott Coker? I, I have a so I'm not sure how deep their regional regional level fighter roster roster is as far as exclusive contracts. But I bet they've been signing a lot of European fighters. But they. It comes down to they need to find someone who is beatable, but isn't like it isn't laughable. So they need someone who's maybe had somewhere between six and ten fights and lost at least two fifths of them. Who's not? Who's not on a tear? Who's not Adam Borich? Who's not uh, fucking Corrales? Who's a badass? I mean, Corrales is probably what number four in their division right now, or or a top five, number four contender, somewhere in that range. Yeah, yeah. He's on a streak. He's fought some killers. He's lost some killers. He's beaten some badass dudes. So. You know, it's just that Pico was aiming for that trajectory. You just got to take those kind of fights or people won't pay attention. And it doesn't always work. Sometimes you get your ass kicked and you have to build back up. Um, like Nemkov coming in to fight Jerry in uh, in Ryzen. It's like his, his fifth or sixth fight. And he's fighting Jerry. He's like 15 and 2, 16 and 2. And he lost. But it's like, it's not the end of you. You just come back. So I think Pico fights a guy who's like, a moderate test, but basically you go steamroll a couple guys and get some get the feel for going punches, kicks, and punches to clinch and, and put it together. He's he's so young. He's just uh. Question. You know, he could have he could have had six meaningless fights right now, and we wouldn't know anything. So we've seen a ceiling, but he's it's all good. Um, what about sending him to Ryzen, as in like maybe like on a short excursion, new environment, uh. Opponents that maybe, you know, I'm not going to say are not as, Bryson would set up opponents that are maybe, would be on a level that he could compete against. What do you think about that? I hadn't thought about it. That's a great idea, brother. That would, that would be sweet. Pride rules, Pico? Shit. Well, yeah, you know, you know, he's, a, you know, a little bit of a different environment, but, all, you know, here's the thing as well. The one thing that, like, you know, 
here's the thing. He goes to Jackson Winklejohn, presumably to just, you know, hone his skills. And, you know, it was working at first. Let's be honest. The first round he won. Adam, uh, the Aaron Pico was using was was wrestling, using using his strengths to um, take down uh, Borix, hold him down. But, you know, unlike Darian Coldwell, who we'll talk about later, was actually working, uh, was actually working with those takedowns. Uh, second round was... Sorry, go ahead, No, second round, he was basically doing the same thing. But then, you know, well, when they stood up, you know, Aaron Borix went for that patented, uh, patented knee, and, uh, fine knee, and, uh, knocked out, uh, Knocked out uh, Aaron Pico. Oh, by the way, as well, I saw some people saying that that, that that was an early stoppage. Are people fucking insane, or, like, was I missing something? Because that was not an early stoppage, in my opinion. I mean, the rest of the club, they see guys, guys roll up, or they see his face go, you know, come on, they gotta, they gotta protect the fighter. They can't just be like, go ahead and hit him a few more times. It's whatever, you know? Pico didn't complain that I saw. Um... But yeah, I don't know. Maybe sending him off to Ryzen could be a little bit, could be something different. Or you know what? I hate to say this. Why not put him on like the regional Japanese circuits, like a deep, or one of the smaller promotions in Japan? I'm sure that perhaps that like that that, that some opponents there would, would be up. To, he could get some wins to pass his record. You know, and I don't know if he would get as much you know attention. You know. Uh, uh, which would be probably good because, you know, I think, you know, he's got to kind of, like, go away for a bit and, you know, so that people forget about the loss. You know what I'm saying? Forget about the losses. Come back, you know, a few with a few a few extra wins and then put him again with a, I guess, B-level player in Bellator. I don't know. That's how I think I would go about it. That's that's my idea. I think that's what they'll do. They'll, have, they'll find someone just right for him. You know, and uh, get him drunk the night before, make him run to the arena, and uh, you know, keep him up all night with loud music. They'll they'll find a, they'll find a way to get him a win. They'll find someone because he just needs a confidence win. And it's the it's the sausage factory when you when you bring it up someone just like boxing, you find them the perfect opponents. You don't, and if you take that leap and it doesn't work, then you go find someone more appropriate for that level. That's how they that's how they bring people up. It's worked. It's worked for ages. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, do you know how many more fights Pico has left on his contract, or any sort of contract uh, that you know of? Mm, no, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was for like six to eight fights initially. It's hard. It's hard to say. And Coker saying that they were going to stay with him. I, I'm assuming maybe he's getting down to the last fight or two, and he's just giving that public assurance that we, you know, he's young. He's still. We still think he's the, the hot shit, but he needs to build himself up so I assume he'll sign a new contract he might not get much of a raise even with his own money at play only because he's he's not got the momentum but you know five or six years from now we could be laughing at how his career started because he's the champ okay uh... most, most guys never fight fighters that good and can you think of another four was what, what was he I guess he was four and one Fighting Corrales, who I think was 16-3. And you have to give him credit. He was beating... He did almost beat Corrales at first. Um, a lot of people forget that. That's his, that's his thing. He's doing well, and then he's not. You know, and that does come from experience. And also, like, you know, he's he's just got a lot to learn. But he's so young that you can't tell anything when he's 22. I mean, he's four or five years younger than the youngest world champs. Yeah. 
But also, you know, like, he, like he was like, I'm gonna be champ in two years. Okay, no, you're not. But he's he's young and he's just he's just getting going. He does have the pedigrees, but putting it all together might be something that's hard for him. I also just don't you want know? him to use up his 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 MMA fight years. You know, just taking all these unnecessary losses and all this you know, all this wear and tear on his body. I mean, it, you know, let's be honest. He started out in wrestling, which you know is a very grueling sport, and now he's going to MMA, which can be just as grueling. Um, you know, I just, you know, I don't want him to be retiring at the age of 30 with like a four and eight record or something like that, you know, just because he got, he kind of got, he, he got thrown in the deep end so early and wasn't given enough time to, to really get an MMA, get a feel and a mindset of, of, of how to fight in MMA. It would be, it would be one of those big what ifs, you know, like, you know, imagine if Aaron Pico you know, imagine if his career had just gone different. I don't want to hear that Aaron Pico's one of those what-if guys. No, I hear you, man, because a lot of people, they don't see the subtle... It's, you know, it's all about who you're fighting and who those people have fought. Like, if you're looking at strength of competition, it's not just a numerical record, but it, it's how successful someone can be, and then within that realm, how many... How high a level can they be successful like that? Like, a long, good streak is better than a long, I have a, streak. Here's a question as well. Maybe... Maybe you can answer this as well, Teep. Can he get... Do you think he can possibly get down to Bantamweight? Or do you think it's impossible? I don't think, I don't think he's a, a particularly large featherweight, but I don't know if that would be healthy. I mean, he's... I can't remember what weight he wrestled at most recently, I should say, before he came into MMA. Cause he's, not a, he's not tall, but he's, he's pretty wide, so I actually don't know. That's a good question. What do you think, Gary? Yeah, Christian, what do you think about that? Um, to be honest, I just hope, I mean, it's like you said, I just hope that Aaron Pico doesn't end up being a 4-8 and eight fighter when he retires at the age of 30 just because he couldn't hack it. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's, 20, he's 22, so that's eight years from now. The la- he, he, the last, his last freestyle wrestling was, uh, was in 2016 when he, uh, when it was the U.S. Olympic Trials, uh, senior men, freestyle. And he was 143 pounds for that when he came in second place. So it looks like he was been he's been competing at around 145, 140, around the 140 range with uh, uh as an adult. Yeah, I mean, he's a fe- he's a featherweight. He wasn't a light. I th- didn't he fight Freeman at lightweight, right? Yeah. That was, a, that was a that was a mistake. But if he had pulled it off, we would have been like, holy shit! It would have been earth shattering. And he's just aiming high. It's like um. No risk, no reward. He took all the risk, and it hasn't completely paid off. But I still say there isn't another fighter with his numerical record in the sport that has a win as good as his knockout of Higo. Um, I still say that about him. What if, that was a serious win, and uh, you know, came very early in his career. So like, he's already beyond people with his experience level. But he needs a little bit of a step back. That's all. Just uh, is a badass. You know, we might be. He's one of the guys who can easily go further, you know, because there aren't that many wrestlers in the division better than Pico at pure wrestling, so it's not like everyone's going to be able to do that to him. What about uh, his his move to Jackson Winklejohn for this fight? Um, let's be honest, Jackson Winklejohn is not, there has, it's been, it's had a lot of, um, it, has, it's, it hasn't been um, the top MMA camp that... Basically, what you're trying to say, Andrew, is that Jackson Winklejohn is so world champions that there's no margin for error. Well, no, not I'm saying I'm saying that it, it's not the camp it used to be. It used to be the camp of champions. It really was. You know, th- that was like the top camp, MMA camp 
for at least a good two or three, four, maybe even five solid years. But then recently, I think that, um, i trying to remember, was it Winkle John who left, I believe? And, like, it's mostly Greg Jackson who's overseen it? I know Donald Cerrone talked about on, on the Rogan yeah. podcast that, uh, that the camp is not the same at all, that, that, that they're bringing in, I heard that he's bringing, that they, that they let the, uh, that the amateurs and the people who aren't professionals, like, uh, cross train, which is a very dangerous thing to do, because, you know, you have somebody who's not, who's, who's not a professional, if they're training with a, with a non, with a, with a non-professional, that non-professional could, could possibly put that professional at risk for injury, um, yeah, yeah, that's what Donald Cerrone said on the Drogan podcast. Um, they used to be the shit. They used to be them and AKA, in my opinion. And, and then Alpha Male. Alpha Male's dropped off because they had the fracture. But what about when Evans left? Didn't Evans leave over the Jones beef? Yes. Yes, he did. Um, would, you call that a, would you call that a pivot point? You might have followed it more closely. No. I think the I think the pivot point was when Donald Cerrone uh, left because now I think he just I think he just trains at his on his own I think at his ranch, but also when he I think he also now just uh, when he came on the uh, Joe Rogan podcast and basically said that that Winks, Wingle John uh, uh, is is not the same as it used to be, uh, and that it's that there it's just it's a entirely different fight camp. Um, also, not to mention, you know, a lot of their fighters have been uh, busted for uh, performance-enhancing drugs. Uh, that is not uh, exactly old news. Uh, obviously, John Jones being the most well-known of those. Um, the camp has come under a lot of scrutiny. As like, is it any more? Is it any more a uh, camp of uh, champions and golden boys? So I'm just wondering if. It'll- if Jackson, if if if, if uh, Pico should have maybe gone to like you know maybe ATT or you know not ATT uh, yeah uh, or, or yeah or AKA even or um, I'm trying to think just like you know someplace besides Jackson Winkle John where he could have uh, gotten maybe perhaps better training I don't know. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, so just to give a little more clarity on the Cerrone thing. So basically, what happened was that um, so Cerrone and Mike Perry had a fight booked. Uh, Platinum Mike Perry. Um, they uh, they both train at, at Jackson Winklejohn, and then uh, Cerrone was told by um, I think it was uh, Greg Jackson that they're not going to corner him. They're going to corner Mike Perry, and he thought it was a, a, a huge betrayal because he had been there for so long, and it's like why would why are you doing this? Like if it's it's that's like that would be a slap in the face, man. I mean, Cerrone, he's been he's been a serious dude for so long. You got yeah, I can see that. So he left. What did he do? Leave? Yeah, he left, and now he trains at his own ranch. And uh, well, that's very Donald Cerrone of him. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm sorry. I just want I just want to flip it. It's not Winkle John uh, who uh, Greg Jackson who's the one who's uh, overseeing uh, 
uh, Jackson, Michael John. Now it's mostly Michael John, Michael Michael John, not uh, Greg Jackson. All the way around. The thing, the thing is, the game plan was working in the Pico fight. Like, if I oh, what? You write an article on a masterclass, like that's how you turn someone around. Oh, absolutely. And he got knocked out, so like I'm, I'm still mind fucked from it, but it was working. He literally picked him up and carried him bodily to the center of the cage and planted him a few times. If he had done that and had a heavier ground and pound, we'd probably be singing everyone's praises today. But oh. he fucked up at the end. Yeah, but. The- uh, I don't know, but you know that's the thing is that he definitely was doing well in the first uh, in the first round and beginning of the second round. He definitely was. He had a good game plan. But the problem is that seemed to be his only game plan. And here's the thing, you know, when we saw later with Leona Machida and Chael Sonnen, you know, if your one game plan is a wrestle, you know what? You're gonna eventually t- your opponent's eventually gonna get okay. This guy's gonna go for a takedown on me any chance he gets. Better get my knee ready, you know. So. Oh, I can't wait to talk that about it. was a lot of entertainment. And not just that I was cheering against Son. I actually thought Son would win, but Machida pulled some shit out. I can't wait until we get to that one. But yeah, that, that's Aaron Pico and, and Borix. Um, what do you think about Borix next? Who would you put him up against? Uh, did he... Uh, would you put him up against... Uh, I'm trying to think. Maybe the uh, the loser of, Ar- of Archuleta and uh, Dantes? You know what? If I no, can speak on man. that... Because I think that the way that Bellator has been booking Adam Borks, it probably only pales in comparison to the way that Bellator has been booking Anthony, I mean, AJ the Mercenary McKee. I think maybe they should probably, you know, work Adam Borks up to the point where he has his big fight, like how AJ McKee defeated Pat Curran recently. Hey, you know, Borg's Koran uh, will be a good fight. Heavy Corrales, you said? Well, I was thinking Corrales, but Pat, uh, Pat Curran. Oh, Pat Curran, okay. for Borg's, because Koran um, looked good in that fight. He didn't look like shit in that fight. He lost, but yeah. it, wasn't, it wasn't a blowout at all in the McKee fight. But uh, Borg's has been yeah. one of the hottest prospects. They booked him to fight Gallagher, but dude pulled out. He would have won that fight. We know now. Like, you know, that was when Gallagher was a featherweight. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, does Gallagher fight at lightweight? He's bantamweight now. Didn't he fight at lightweight originally, and now he's gone down to bantamweight? No, he was a featherweight. So oh. he was a featherweight when he beat Chinzo, Machida, and then uh, he was supposed to fight Boric, I think, in uh, Hungary or something, like as a main event, and he pulled out. And then, you know, and then, but he, and then he came back as a bantamweight, but uh, if I'm remembering it correctly... Yeah, he's at 135 now. Okay. Yeah, but to be honest, if Gallagher so. were to ever face off against Adam Bortz, Adam Bortz would kill his ass. Well, we know that now, but at the time, I mean, Gallagher looked sweet against Chinzo, even though Chinzo didn't have, like, a great record, but he was moving well, but getting outstruck and then grappled. There was a reason to have some hype at the time. There still is, but, uh... Um. So uh, let's see about. Let's go on to another one of the fights that uh that should be talked about during the prelims. Um. Oh, actually. How about Hardy's fight? Sorry. What was that? How about Hardy's fight? A uh, hard Hardy. Oh, that was funny. Those uh. Yeah. Had the Hardy getting worked by this train 
getting worked by the trainer's wife. <laughs> yeah, yeah what, what about those punches that uh, Taylor Turner was giving to Hardy on the ground and pound? And I use ground and pound very, very loosely. Oh, man. I was, you know, I, I've always said Fedor had the best ground and pound, but that really made me rethink it. I was actually, like, my stomach was churning. I was like, how can a human face endure that? You know? It was like, um, say uncle, say uncle. Yeah. Maybe she didn't want to burn her arms out. Exactly, yeah. And I guess, you know, the referee just had to stop it because Heather Hardy was just not defending properly. Even if those weren't, even if those weren't power punches, Heather Hardy was just kind of like not really doing anything to like block them. So the referee did have to stop it. Basically. Yeah, she couldn't. I mean, she showed heart. She's a tough girl, but yeah, she just couldn't get out. She wasn't doing the various things, you, you, the last minute desperation things you might do. To try and get out, even if you risk like an armbar transition or something, you know, there's certain things. And she didn't do any of that. She was just like, you know, that was that was done. But um, you know, if she fights again, she should maybe fight a boxer in MMA rules. <laughs> you know, bring someone in who's green, and then uh, and they'll just basically throw hands more or less. Well, do you think that do you think that Heather Hardy is still somebody who? Uh, that Bellator is going to use in the future as one of their, uh, I guess, East Coast draws or you know New York City because she's yeah she's been on she's been on most of the New York City shows since uh, since she debuted Bellator if I'm correct. Yeah, she fought So um, yeah, yeah. So so uh, for but the, at the, I think Heather Hardy, she's now two and two, right? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm still glowing from her fight with uh, Warhorse Williams and Mohegan Sun. That shit was epic. Well, that's right. She's had two fights with Mohegan Sun. That was an epic fight. That was the best fight of that night. That was the night Masafi got his eye fucked up by Shlomenko, but uh, they outsh they outshone everyone. There were a lot of good fighters on that card too. They had the best the best shit hands down. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That, was, that was the one where Hardy got shank kicked in the grill, and you know, there was just blood everywhere. But that was a, she showed a lot of character in that fight. They both did. So hopefully they'll keep booking her, but she needs to fight people who don't have any wrestling at all. Yeah. They have to go find her. People who just know how to throw hands, and they can just box in those little gloves. No big deal. Um, do you think she just returns the, do you think that she'll return the boxing, or she totally done boxing? What do you think? I guess you could compare it to compare it to Aaron Pico as well, where somebody just came in a little bit without the uh, the the fight experience of an MMA fighter. Um, just like she she just came in way too fast and kind of was like thinking that like my skills at, in one category is all I need to 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 excel at the sport. And you know I think with Heather Hardy more than so than Aaron Pico, she has to yeah she definitely has to vary her game as a fighter, absolutely. She's clearly, she clearly is a step below many, many fighters, even at the regional level, I would think, 
if you know you put her up against a pure MMA fighter uh, who knows just the various disciplines of of that type of fighting style, she uh, you just she just won't be a match for them. Stand. Uh, um, but it's also the pay scale. Like certain fighters, when they pay, when people come in with hype from other sports, they may be more of a purist than those other sports. The pay scale determines. Like it's hard, there's only so many times a promotion wants to pay, you know, marquee money for a marginal opponent that people are gonna make fun of. So like with Pico, he's making a lot of money. They they paid him for a couple years before he even competed. So they have to find the balance. But you know what just occurred to me? Didn't Dana say he wasn't gonna book BJ Payne? Anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that might mean his contract's over because he, he might phrase it a different way. Otherwise, Aaron Pico, BJ Penn. That's the most famous winnable fight you can find for a Pico right now. That's near his weight. Mhm. You think you think that BJ Penn will sign up Bellator? Uh, Christian, any thoughts on on Heather Hardy? What do you do with her and uh, Bellator? Um, you know, considering the fact that this is her second straight loss via knockout, I'd say, you know, just let her go back into boxing for the time being, and then if she still wants to pursue a career in MMA, when the time, when the time is right for her to leave boxing, she can go back I guess, yeah, a little. I was watching on my phone, uh, the the prelims, so I can't really like. I, it was very hard to tell like size differences and all that stuff. Um, but I, I don't know. I was. Uh, I can't really comment on it. Just they didn't look like anything. And I can't. I can't, I honestly can't really tell to be honest. Just watch on my yeah, phone. Sorry, Christian, could you go ahead again? Do you think that we all underestimated Taylor Turner a bit just because her record was under 500? Still is? Yep, of course. Yeah, yeah well, they, she doesn't have a ton of experience, right? Or does she? She has... A ton of experience on the regional circuit, and she married a trainer. She has nine fights total. Uh, four and... Four and uh no, just pro is what is her uh is her uh, pro record. Um, oh, so what's her record now? Four and five. Oh, I see. Yeah, see, they, that's the thing is, when some of these prospects at some point 
they try and feed him someone who has experience but not a good record, and it can go wrong. Sometimes it goes all the way right, but, you know, they, they're always playing against the game with the bookings. They're trying to maximize the promotion, and, and then so are the management teams. And when the equation is wrong, you get something like that, where the girl's experience, she's like, well, I'm just going to wrestle you. And Hardy's like, well, I'm just going to flail my legs and eat punches. You know, so, yeah, that went wrong. Maybe she needs to fight someone with her own experience level. Who, who came from from points karate or, or amateur boxing or chess, you know, or bowling? Well, you know, someone who's not a wrestler. I got to hear here's something. They're both flyweights. What about Heather Hardy versus Larkin Dash? You would? Oh. Yeah, I think she showed a lot of resilience, but I, I know Heather will throw hands and Dash will probably throw hands with her, but I, yeah, I would, I would go with Dash in that fight. She, I was impressed. I mean, not just not just because she works at Hooters. Lots of fighters have second jobs. I mean, Stipe, he could be your fireman. You'd be like, who the fuck is this guy? You know, mm -hmm. like, you never know who's who, but uh, people work jobs. But no, she was, I thought she looked really good. Mm -hmm. She lost, but she didn't. She didn't like shit, but she was fighting someone who was an excellent striker, like an excellent kicker, like world world class with the legs. Mm -hmm. You know, you eat those kind of body kicks, and Hardy showed in her fights that she can take punishment and come through it. You know, win or lose, like that that Williams fight, people would have people with a softer spirit would have given up long before the stoppage. She yeah. Was just oh, absolutely, absolutely. Oh yeah. Um, are there any other fights on the prelims that you uh, want to just briefly mention or talk about, T for Christian? Anything that uh, stands out for you? What do you think, T? Oh uh, no, Christian just uh, he jumped forward. You just uh, oh, he got disconnected. Any other fights that you want to talk about, T? Anything that uh, stands out for you? Which fight was this? The Bandeira uh, fight. Yeah, I can hear y'all. But I was basically trying Ooh. to ask. I mean, I was basically trying to say I think a better fight for Heather Hardy would be against somebody like Amanda Serrano because, let's face it, Serrano and Hardy, they fight in two different weight classes in boxing. But they are not really that far apart in weight in MMA. So I think that the best thing for Bellator and Comanche Americas to do is to have like a crossover fight between two big boxing champions. And as far as a Taylor Turner Larkin Dash fight goes, do we really want to see that shit? Yup. Yep. Oh god. Yes. I mean, just because of the fact that you got a trainer's wife versus a damn Hooters girl. Holy shit. Knee, straight, 
he didn't have any pro fights. He was 0 and 0. He's the kind of fighter that people would make fun of at a casual glance. Like, why is he even on the headline in the prelims? No, he stole the fucking show. Bader was on that card. Ali Malay was on that card. Who else was on that card? Logan Storley was on that card. And Ruth was on that card. Shit, there were a ton of badasses on that card. But Claxton was the one that went viral with the name. Hmm. That's Ali yeah. won her fight off Dakota at that card. And Bader defended against herself. But Claxton was the one. He, I mean, he had no pro fights. So, for me, I just look at the style matchups and just appreciate that a lot of times they're trying to make a fucking statement. Mm-hmm. Sorry for the rants. I'm feeling ranty. Mm-hmm. That was such a good card. I got so much energy out of that card. It was incredible. Oh, I gotta say, the prelims, you know, the prelims which aired on uh, on the Zone uh, app and on their YouTube and Facebook page as well. You know, I gotta say the way that they that they that that the that the card overall moved, it moved. The card moved so well. The pacing was so great. Like it was, it there was no bullshit in between. There was nothing that just made me go. Ugh. It was a great, a uh, fantastically well paced. Uh, card. Um, yeah, I mean, when it came down to the prelims, it was just like no stopping a pace. I mean, no. Oh, damn it! What am I trying to say? It was no shortage of pace. Even though they would go back to the damn fight desk every time, just so that we can see what Joe. I mean, what Jake has to say, which means who would want to see the butt midget from the NFL on Fox, anyways? <laughs> but other than that, yeah. But other than that, it was basically a fast pace. It was like all the fights were just in, out, done. In, out, done. Yeah, you had a few, a few, a few fights on the pre on the prelims that were that were kind of mad, but most of them, you know, were were first round finish, first or second second round finishes, or the ones that at least uh, went to a decision. You know, they were like fast paced, action packed, uh, and uh, great great fights overall in the prelims. Definitely, this was the best, uh, this is, I'm trying to think of, like, what would be the best prelim I've ever seen, but this definitely has to be, like, up there in the top, top five, top ten, at least. 100. Sorry, Bozak? Bellator 100 because you had John Bones Jones on the fucking prelims for that. And people didn't know how much potential he had then. I think there was one UFC show, I think it was in Brazil, where like every match in the prelim went to like a first or second round submission uh, finish. So I think that was like also one of the other ones that, um, I can't remember which one that was. Maybe the. the That may have been, uh, was that the second one? Was that the second match? I think that was the second match that they had. I can't remember. My brain has been trying to forget that loss for Rock Soul since it happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll die, I'll die salty about that loss because he was taking him lightly and this Michael fucking Bisping, you don't take him lightly. Ever. I'm not even a fan of the guy, but no, anyone who takes him lightly is getting their ass kicked. Uh. Sorry, I stand corrected. It was the first one. I apologize. It was the first it was the uh, first one where every fight went to a finish. Right, and at the end of the night, that was the one where Roxel shin kicked Bisping in the head and fucking 
Yes. And, uh, well, you know, no intermissions to deal with, so, you know, they, they timed this show all, this, they timed the show absolutely perfectly. Um. Yeah, and they always seem to push, this. like, when I've been there to the live shows, the prelims happen very quickly, very quickly. Like, they jam them in because they're, they're finding these guys from local gyms and regional gyms, and they're getting to look at them, but they're not, like, trying to, like, draw in a We can hear you, Christian. Christian, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Uh, but yeah, with that, I, what's, you want to go on to the main card, talk about all the fights that happened on the main card? Fucking right. What card, what, what are we doing first? Let's, uh, let's start from bottom up. Kyoji Horiguchi uh, taking on then-champion Darren Caldwell for the Bellator Bantamweight Championship. Uh, Holy shit. Who's going first? Horiguchi. Is now Gucci two belts beating Darren Caldwell again. Only this time be a unanimous decision. Yeah, what I mean, what do you think about Darren Caldwell's game plan in this fight and the fact that it basically backfired on him for up after I would say maybe round two? Yeah, well, I mean, he, My boss was that. Oh, you go ahead, T. Well, I'll just say just something very short. Like at the beginning when he was getting him up and then landed those monster elbows, I, I, right at that point I was like, oh man, this is what I was afraid would happen. But then after that first one, Gucci was superbly calm. You know, he was just sitting there like he was sitting on the mat in between around. And, and that's like part of his strength, that, that mindset of just, he wasn't, he was chilling. Even with the hard hits, he was chilling and uh, kept... And the cowboy just started fucking hugging him and trying to do something to get his legs together. And, like, I don't know what he was going for because it didn't work. He just kept doing it. So maybe he was getting a little tired and he thought my best bet is to stay on top and maneuver him. But he couldn't He couldn't do it. And I thought it was a brilliant performance. I'm so happy I was wrong about that shit. All right, fire, Christian. Go on, brother. Well, I think that Darian Caldwell tried. But that's about all there is to it because... He tried to keep up with Boy Gucci, but he was just, I mean, I think for like most of the fight, he was just purely dominated. Well, he was getting hit. It was like the first fight, but then, and then Gucci out-wrestled him. That was, man, I was sitting in the bar watching on my phone. I was freaking out. I was all trying to explain the whole bantamweight worldwide picture to the bartender. Well, well, let's talk about this. What, what do you think? Uh, well, he was saying Darren Caldwell basically tried doing the same thing that he did in the first in the first uh, match that they had in Ryzen, and that seemed to be his. He said his game plan for this fight was to take him down and and smash his, smash his face in, but he did one part but not the other, and that was smash his face in. Do you think that that uh that that Caldwell's game plan was was the wrong game plan to go in for this fight? Should he have gone in differently? I, I, I don't think he stuck to his game plan. Like, at the beginning of the fight, he was doing the right things he needed to do, which is use his side, push him into the cage, and land these big-ass elbows. Maybe he burned himself out a little bit. Because Gucci was still there chilling. But if, if it had kept happening, he would have gotten cut up. It would have swollen his eyes up. But he stopped doing it. And then he started doing, like, the first fight. And Gucci got the little, little T-Rex arms just bing, 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 punching him. But just the same way it happened. 
you know, and then later when Haraguchi out wrestled him, that was just magnificent because, you know, the guy doesn't get tired. So every, the longer the fight went, and this is something you guys were talking about, I didn't take into account enough. The longer the fight went, it it, it started turning, you know. It was, um, Lord is a great performance, and that makes him the unified bantamweight champion of the world. But uh, what do you what do you what about Darren Caldwell though? Do you think the weight cut also has something to do with with just him getting very like extremely tired after the third after basically second round? Yeah, I mean he won a national championship at 149 pounds, if I'm not mistaken, in red in wrestling division one. Yeah. And then and he's seven and zero at featherweight. He beat um, Noah Lahat at featherweight right before he lost to Gucci. Like, and he looked really really good, really crisp and strong and did. You know, mushed him into the cage, got a good position. I can't remember if he got a wrist ride, but just beat the shit out of him until he was out. It was it was excellent. So maybe, yeah, maybe he needs to be a featherweight. Maybe he'll be either an alternate or a non-champion side bracket in the Grand Prix. He's 7-0, a featherweight. You can't fuck with that record, you know? Mm-hmm. His, his first six fights, and then he went back up to fight Lahat. But we got to talk about Horiguchi. Is, he, is it fair oh, to say shit. he's now the number one bantamweight in the world? What about versus Henry Cejudo? Now, separate from who might win the matchup, because Cejudo's a badass dude, right? But he's, you know, he, he beat the bantamweight champion for the UFC, who was cutting an extra 10 pounds. So you give him a lot of credit for winning that and doing it in style, but he didn't beat the bantamweight champion who's only cutting to bantamweight, who's been champion doing that. So he gets a lot of credit, pound for pound as well. And then he was a champion, and so, and then he, so he does that, and then he moves up. And he beats a fellow contender, a badass guy, right? Another guy, you'd say he might be the best. But beating a contender isn't the same as winning a Grand Prix and then having some lineal titles from that Grand Prix as well as a Grand Prix belt and then beating, you know, double beating uh, a champion from another org. I mean, he holds two belts. He's Grand Prix champ, 13-fight win streak. He's, he's fucking shit up. He's absolutely number one. But who would win the matchup? I don't know. So we got Kyoji Hort... Yes, they were. They were. Yeah, because I came in heavy. Like, I didn't get to start drinking until the very beginning of the main card, but I came in heavy. And then tapered it off so I wouldn't pass out. I did pass out, though. I passed out right before Rory Gracie. I had to watch that fight the next morning. Uh, so what about, um... What about, uh, uh who's next for Gucci? Who is going to be the next person who faces... Him for the Bellator Championship. Christian, you wanna go first? Christian? Oh, we may have lost him. But uh, you, you, t- uh, Teep, you, you give your thoughts. Well, I think Archuleta wants to 
gold. I, I think they asked him about the featherweight tournament. He wants the belt. He wants to be in that. And he could still win that fight potentially and then go into the tournament with a bye or as an alternate or who knows. But but he's he's won 18, I think it's 18 fights in a row now. 18 fucking fights in a row at multiple weights. He's a, you know, he's a regional champion at multiple weights. He's the guy. He should he should be he's the guy who sh they should clearly give the title fight to. Coker suggested as such. He suggested as such. They even asked Patrick Mix, who just sub Bandeus like it was nothing. Like that was. The, we'll get to that. But um, and even he said no. He's the guy. So I think yeah. I mean Kikuchi, but maybe have Archuleta go to Ryzen to fight for the Ryzen belt versus Haraguchi. Coker mentioned that shit. Wouldn't that be epic? Well, I think that probably uh, whoever wins the Bellator, I mean, not Bellator, Ryzen has some Bantamweight fights that are coming up at their next show. I think probably they're going, one of the winners of those of, of those fights are going to probably face Gucci next. At least that's my belief. Right, but, but Sakagabara said that Gucci's going to be busy. So maybe, maybe, you know, it seems the pieces are in play and Coca said if they offer a Ryzen title fight to Archuleta, they'll go for it 100%. So actually, everyone is down to make that happen. If they threw it on a card, a, a, a nearby card, you know, that would be a great fight under pride rules. Come on, the only way Bellator 222 could have gotten better is if it was in the ring under pride rules. That's what I think. What? I'm not going to bash Bellator, but yeah, I, I prefer the ring, man. I don't want to see the soccer kicks. Well, in the case of Archuleta, though, let's see. Well, here's the thing. Uh, is he had how many fights has he had a band of weight in, in, in Bellator? No, he was fighting up a featherweight. He might have fought a bantamweight, but he he was he before he beat Bandeas, he was fighting a featherweight. I had him like I think at the time number four or five. Maybe number four in the division. And then he moved down and beat the guy who beat Gallagher who they were positioning for title fight. You know if Gallagher beaten Bandeas, absolutely. That might have been the move, so you know. So I think I think he's I think he's in the top contendership, definitely bantamweight, and he's one of the top guys at, at featherweight. So he's, he's the guy. What did you think? What did you think of his fight with um, Holmes? Was oh, with, with Caldwell? No, no, Archuleta. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, let me. Uh, actually, that's fine. I think that was the was that the next fight in the card? Uh, I think it was, wasn't it? Uh. Yeah, Alex Porter's fight was against Eduardo Dotson, right? Yes, okay, no, that's a great, that's a great, um, that'll be a great, uh, segue. Yeah, uh, Archuleta, well, basically, nothing happened that first round. Like, literally, nothing happened. I know how much you want to see soccer kicks happen in a ring for Bellator, but you know the New York State Athletic Commission are a bunch of bitches, right? Yeah. No, I know that, but overseas, in theory... They could do it because they have they have most they have Mohegan Sun oversee their overseas events they're non but that doesn't mean they have uh, Missouri and and Mohegan Sun oversee them doing under different rule sets if 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 it's not like banned in the country and then so you know like go to Hungary with pride rules and in the Bellator ring that'd be some ill shit you know do a do a Bellator event in Japan in the ring with pride rules why not. Because yep. it wouldn't mess up records. Because like King Mo went to Rise and won, that counts toward his record. They they claim credit for those wins. They're not. There's no underlying objection. But yeah, they, you can't do it here. 
Uh-huh. Well, let's go ahead and talk about the Eduardo. Uh-huh. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Christian. Yeah, let's go ahead and talk about the Eduardo Dudu Dantas on Archuleta fight because I think Archuleta made a pure case for wanting a bantamweight title shot in either Bellator or Rise. But here's the thing, though. I like. I, well, here's the. If he's only had one fight at bantamweight in Bellator and he's won it, I I don't know if I agree with the sentiment that if you that if you if you have a great record at featherweight or or lightweight, that makes you a contender at another weight class. I don't know if I 100 percent agree with that though. Yeah, but you know, it's kind of like I don't know. It's kind of I feel like it's almost like like a uh, like like a um, sneaking in. What do you? I don't know what the word what the, what the term is, but like I feel like it's it's it's, it's you know somebody who's like ten and zero at bantamweight in Bellator. I think personally has a better has a bigger shot than Archuleta, who might be one and zero at bantamweight in Bellator. But does have an 18 fight win streak and also has multiple wins at lightweight and featherweight. I don't know. I just have a. I don't know. There's just something about someone who's at another weight class who says that because I'm at a higher weight class and then uh, and then uh, uh, sneaks into another weight class that makes them that that ranking transfers over. I don't know if I want, if I 100 percent agree with that. Wouldn't that negate it since the fight was at featherweight? I know that Dantes was champion at bantamweight, but being at featherweight, I don't know if that that kind of. Oh, no, I'm, so, I'm sorry, I meant the Bandeas fight. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Oh, okay, okay, gotcha. Okay, okay. I'm sorry. I thought you said Dantes. Okay, I say it correctly. Okay. Get into the featherweight Grand Prix. That was, that's my thought. That's why it was a featherweight. 
That's well, you know, if you know, if if that's the case, he should just focus on the featherweight Grand Prix. Don't worry about Horiguchi just yet, you know. Um, uh, and the same thing can go for Archuleta as well, because, like you said, Andrew, he does have multiple wins at lightweight and featherweight, and he's also a former four division King of the Cage world champ. But I mean, he needs to focus more on getting wins at bantamweight before calling out. I mean, before getting that title. Well, like, here's the thing: if Ar- if Archuleta fought the winner of, of Mix and Bandeas. Then, and he wins that, then I think you can maybe make a better case. Um, I did think it was funny that uh, at the end when he, when he uh, knocked out uh, Dantes, by the way, that was a beautiful overhand that he knocked out Dantes with. Just, just, one, okay. just one punch knockout. Right, by the way, one second into the, la- into the second round, by the way, as well. Oh, before we continue, I got to tell you how I was watching this. So, initially, I was watching the prelims at work, and then when we got out of work, that's when, like, most of the main car, that's when, uh, maybe about second round into, uh, the Horiguchi fight, uh, started. So, I, ha- I was driving back to Long Island to go to a screening of the Warriors. Uh, so I'm driving from Staten Island to, to Long Island. So, I don't want to obviously miss the main card live. So what I do, I, I have the I have the I have the uh, the zone thing the, the playing on my phone. So I'm basically I attach my phone to a, a little thing on my uh, near my uh, radio so that the phone can st- uh, is can stay uh, stationary while I watch it while I'm driving. I do not recommend anybody ever do this. This is one of the most unsafe things to ever do. Do not do it. Do not watch MMA while driving. Oh, I saw they had that option as well, but I was, I don't know, I wanted to watch it. I wanted to see every, every little thing, especially with the prelims, with the way that they went. I definitely knew this was going to be a great card. Actually, just briefly before we go on to the next match, um, what, I, I want to know, get your, both your thoughts on Horiguchi Caldwell. What do you think about it being the opening on the main card, despite being a title match? Gucci, you want to go first? Yeah, I might as well. I mean, when it comes to... You know, a lot of people have said that, I mean, a lot of people have been saying that the Caldwell Horiguchi fight should have gone on last, but I think it was a perfect way for fans to, you know, get a feel of what Ryzen has in store as far as one of their champions fighting in not only a new promotion, but for the first time in five years. Actually, for the first time in almost four years, a different environment than, he, than what he's used to. So, basically, that was a good eye-opener for, you know, fans to get a glimpse of who, Hoi, or who Kyoji Horiguchi was. And, obviously, now that Hoi, Kyoji Horiguchi is Gucci two belts, I mean, hopefully people will get a glimpse, 
Well, I have a question. Here's the thing. Shouldn't he be Tucci? Two belts? <laughs> no. No. Uh, but here's the thing. Well, there was some criticism that, that it was a title fight and it was opening the card. Now, I just want to say, I'm old school. I do believe that the title, that title matches always go on last because that is presumably what is the main events. Whether that should be... Here's the thing. I don't think... The Grand Prix was the was the most important match, so people were saying it should have been the last match. I, I think they're a little bit, they're a little, they're, they're thinking a little, they're they're overthinking it too much. The main the, the main card, the main event was always going to be the welterweight Grand Prix uh, match. But you know, I would not have. Um, I think Horiguchi Caldwell could have been a co-main. Um, I would in. Um, now, here's the thing as well. Given how how both the main and and Gucci Caldwell went, in a way, it kind of worked out that they didn't that they weren't back to back because okay, they uh you know they both went to the to the they went the distance. Let's be honest, they weren't the most exciting fights comparatively to some of the other matches on on this on this. You have two fights that are go to for all five rounds and aren't they don't have much action. You kind of, you know, people are going to remember that. People remember a bad ending more than a good beginning. So, in a weird way, it it worked out that Horiguchi Caldwell, and even here's even Gucci when at the end at the when when he uh, post fight he said that he was sorry that there was not much action, which was not on his part. It was because Caldwell was, I don't want to say was doing nothing, but was 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 basically just trying to lay on him for five rounds and win that way. But here's, you don't get to win if you're the only person yeah. getting punched. But I was worried that the judges might give it to Caldwell. You know, it's very hard because there have been times where where lay and prayers have uh, have won doing nothing like nothing like that, and then you think, oh, you know, you know, they they certainly de- didn't deserve the win just for laying them. You never know when it comes to these judges. Um, Yeah. A lot of people were like, yeah, man, he wrestled him, but it was a lot closer to Fitch fight because Fitch was throwing punches. Yeah. It's, and, and also, Gucci out-wrestled Calwell for that fight. Yeah. That's got to be, gotta, gotta be remembered because it's easy to get burned in the image of the early rounds where Gucci's got his backhand defense and he's trying, he's doing all those great things. At one point, Calwell got the wrist ride behind the back. Yeah. That was scary. I was like, oh, he's fucked. But he got, he did end up getting out of it. I think Calwell maybe burned his arms out a little bit because Gucci was a tough dude. And he's a little compact guy, so it's not like a big lanky guy who's like sprawled. When he can't move, he's all gangly. Gucci's a little ball of fucking fire. When Gucci got him in the when when Dante well not Dante when Caldwell was in Gucci's guard, I thought, oh my god, this is gonna end the same exact way uh, than like the first match. He's gonna get guillotined. Didn't happen though. Didn't happen. Uh, but um, it it is a very interesting um, it's a very interesting perspective when you see 
what Caldwell was doing in the in the rise. Well, when you see something like that done in a rising ring and in the uh, and in the Bellator cage, where you know the referee will stand them up if there's nothing being done in um, in rising. Did they? Go, I, have to, I have to literally watch those two fights back to back. I don't know. Christian, can you recall about that? Oh, we may have we may have lost Christian, but I honestly can't. I thought they stood him up more in the riser ring, but I could be entirely wrong. I'd have to go back and look at all the, uh, both matches back to back. So, uh... Yeah. But it's not to disrespect Cowboy, he's epic. And he was a he was a you know, a national champ wrestler at a higher weight than they fought at. So no disrespect to him, but his game plan or his reaction to Gucci's reaction wasn't wasn't good. You know, he needs like a different kind of approach to fight that kind of fighter. But early in the first round he had that shit on control. He got the wrist ride, he landed big elbows, he was doing everything right, and then he just stopped. But maybe that's what getting punched dozens and dozens of times in the head will do. Although they fucked up the Cowboy Gucci fight, but if you're stalling, yeah, man, fucking reset. Go at it. 
Actually, just want I just want to go back to uh, the uh, a little bit of the Archuleta Dantes fight before we move on to the uh, other uh, the next fight. After Dantes, what happens with him now? I know that he had an ankle injury with the McDonald knockout. He broke his uh, ankle, and uh, the commentators were mentioning uh, that uh, that he was looking a little bit more stiff, a little bit more um, flat-footed. Do you think that this uh, that injury had something to do with him? Uh, just not you know being. Do you think that injury to him kind of? Uh, is going to be a long-lasting uh, effect on his fight career? That's a good point. I mean, I'm assuming he'd have lasting effects. What do you think, Christian? I think it does because you just don't come up. You just don't come back off of those types of injuries scot-free. Well, here's what I can say. I can give a little bit of, of perspective as somebody who did break my fibula as well. You know, when you break it and then you come back and you're told, "Oh, okay, you can go, you can start walking again." You do have some hesitation in like in in in, in the steps you take because you're just fearful of like, "Okay, is my leg is my leg ankle 100%? If I fall, if if I lose my footing, is it gonna break again?" I mean, it won't, but it's just it's just that feeling. It's like you know, anybody, you know, it's just that feeling of like. You feel like you're you're made of glass and you don't want to break again. I feel that. No, I've, I've had like minor injuries and then I'm always wary. I just it's subconscious. Yeah. The protection mechanism is probably healthy. Like Anderson, after he broke his shit on Weidman's beautiful, uncredited, perfect shin check, textbook fucking shit. The guy's kicking you without turning his hip over. Boom! Hit the top part of the shin. Fuck the shit. Um. <laughs> Oh, absolutely not. Do you think he'll stick at feather? You think he'll stick at featherweight, or do you think he's gonna go back down to bantamweight? He's probably yeah. gonna go back down to bantamweight, to be honest. It depends on his weight cut. Does he miss weight a lot? Does he struggle? I don't think that Dantes is a. Um, I don't think Dantes has ever uh, come. Uh, I know he's a he's big for a bantamweight because he's also really tall and lanky, but um, I don't. I don't think he's ever. I've ever heard anything about him. I know. Here's the thing. I did go to the Bellator weigh-ins, and there were a few people that did that did need to, didn't need the towel. Um, I can't recall offhand. Oh, Neiman Gracie needed a towel. Um, uh, he's thick. Mike Kimball needed a towel. Um, try to remember one. One of the Black Fires needed a towel. I can't recall offhand which one. But, uh, yeah, Kimball. Kimball's a big guy. Kimball's a big guy. And he had, oh, man, we didn't talk about Kimball. He looked good. Man, he's got a nice stiff jab, a little more cage cutting. He's on fucking point. He's a, he's, he's a highlight reel type guy, although in that fight he was a little more tactical, but, yeah. I forgot to bring him up. And he's a good personality, a good story. Like a come-up story, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, he's definitely a prospect to look at. That was definitely a... Uh, exciting fight, uh, though um, there were a lot of kicks to the balls during that match. And actually, the, one of the funniest things during that match was when uh, Mike Beltran went to separate the two, and he, I guess he pushed uh, Sebastian Ruiz 
so hard that Ruiz went flying. Mm-hmm. And he was oh, basically... Uh, yeah, no, no, no. Oh, Beltran in Spanish. Yeah, no, yeah, Beltran, yeah. He wanted to separate the fires, but he, I guess he, uh, after a, uh, after a low blow, and, uh, he, uh, I guess he pushed Ruiz too hard, and he went flying. Do you remember that? I didn't get to read. I didn't get to see that. That was on the prelims? Yeah, that was on the prelims. Um, I'm just, I'm just uh, lucky, you know, good thing that, uh, Ruiz didn't get injured. I don't know. Like, I have a question. What would happen if Ruiz got injured from that referee separation? Would that have been a no contest or would that have been like a disqualification in his favor? Uh, it probably no, no would have been a no contest because that big swinging Viking, Mike Beltran, would have probably caused it. Ah, okay. Um, I, I think, I think now Big John is gone, Mike Beltran, I think he's the best. And I wish all fights were ref by Mike Beltran. And he looks like, he looks like Gimli. <laughs> if Gimli kicks a lot more ass. Like if he had two axes. That's Mike Beltran. That dude is awesome. Um, but let's talk about the next fight, which is definitely, you know, uh, a fire to look at in the Bantamweight division of Bellator. Patrick Mix, still undefeated. 11-0 uh, now. Take it, take, uh, took on Ricky Bandeas who's now 11-3. First round, uh, backpack rear naked choke, Damian Maya style, I like to say. Um, what, an what, a, what an incredible fight this was. This was just a, you know, Patrick Mix came in with a lot of hype, being undefeated. I think he was definitely the underdog in this fight. A lot of people pegged Bandeas to win uh, just because, you know, this was, you know, Bandeas was just the more well-known name and also he had fought in Bellator before. You know, but, uh, Mix was coming in from King of the Cage, Regional Circuit. So he was a relative unknown. This fight went, also went from the prelims to the main card, which was a very good decision as well. So, yeah, Patrick Mix basically just got on Ricky uh, Bandeas' back, locked in a rear naked choke while he was standing, uh, fell backwards and got the, the, the choke in. Um, there's really nothing much else to say. You know, it was one minute, six rounds in the, into the first. Patrick Mix is a guy to, to, to pay attention to. He really is. Oh, holy shit. On a night when Boric stayed undefeated, won his 13th straight professional fight, knocking out the Wonder Kid, it was Patrick Mix that had the performance of the night. And if, if I could only watch, have watched one fight, that would be the fight. That would be the performance. I would want to see something at that level. That was the best possible entry he could make into the Bellator picture. It was after Archuleta and... Bandeas had a fight where a lot of people thought it was either a draw or the other guy won. And he just absolutely just chewed him up. Like, it was just beautiful to see. Yeah, it couldn't have gone any better. You couldn't write, if you wrote that in a script, people would say it was unrealistic. That's how good it went. It was like Ronda Rousey arm barring Singano. Remember that fight? Yep. Cat ran in, 14, and Aunt Ronda just kind of improv an arm bar. Like, well, I've got you here, I'll just stretch this. That That's like my favorite Rousey fight. I was a big fan until she kind of got iffy with everybody, you know, started to, like, talk shit to people who are, like, Holly Holm, why are you going to talk shit to this girl, she's a nice young lady, like, she's not, why are you calling her, so, you know, like, that turned me off, but Rousey, I was a big fan of her fighting, and that was her master class, that was her, her apex. Also, I want to give a little bit of background on, on, on Mix, uh, he's only 25, he now trains at Jackson Winklejohn MMA, so, Yep, uh, he was with he did train in uh Buffalo or, or in the New York area, but now he fights out of Jackson Winklejohn, 
and um, I'm trying. I I know I he's got a, he's been got a lot of talk as a 135er, and definitely. I mean, like, what do you do with him next if you're Bellator? Well, who would you put? Ah, yes, he did mention that. Uh, here's the thing though, Gallagher's got... Uh, uh, you know what other fight would be huge for him? You know what other fight would be huge for him? It would probably mean a fight between him and, you know, Adam Burks, if given the chance. He had to go up and wait though. Ah, oh, Cape, Cape and Mix would be a very, very interesting fight, though. I think, here's the thing, I think Cape really wants Horaguchi. He's been talking a lot of stuff on Horaguchi on uh, Twitter. Oh, I'd love to see that. So he's, he's got one coming up, is it? Cape has one in the next show? No, no he doesn't. Not as of now. Really? Because I, I tweeted him on Twitter, I think, about coming over to Bellator. He, was, he seemed open to it. Yeah, I, here's the thing. If Cape... Guys, I I think that's definitely a good match for Bellator to make. I don't know if I would have him in Ryzen. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't. I feel like Be Patrick Mix should definitely be a guy that Bellator holds on to because he's definitely a, a a great future. I would say main level main level player for to go by this this his his debut. It, as oh, yeah. uh, you know, I don't want you know. Don't feed him to the wolves. I don't want not necessarily feed him to the wolves of Ryzen, but you know, keep him in keep him in your in your uh, keep him in your lane. When he starts getting more uh, more more wins, more high profile wins. Not that Ricky Mendez is not a whole high profile win. It absolutely is, especially the way that it happened. Just then, maybe put him in in Ryzen. But if you want to have that cape fight, bring him. You know, get cape on that plane and get him to come to a uh, Bellator. Uh, that gets I Cape. I agree 100. percent People, people here will love Cape. He's such a great shit talker and so confident. He, he exudes sort of like that it factor. Win or lose, like he's exciting guy. I think it was the Gucci fight. He was like he's losing, but he's still doing like this Michael Jackson shoulder shuffle and shit. Yeah. Like this is the kind of guy I'm a huge fan, and he's got a lot of potential, but he's also just huge, enormously entertaining. Come on, he's got to come to Bellator and spice up bantamweight, talk some shit. And I'll I'll will tell you this if if Patrick Mix gets two th or three more wins high profile wins I would rather put him up against Horaguchi than than Archuleta if Archuleta is doing the, the doing the, the featherweight tournament he needs to focus on that and then oh oh yeah the, after after he won uh, Archuleta did say that uh, you know Gucci you're not leaving. But again, uh, my a powerful guy who's on 18 fight streak. I mean, on paper or in reality, that's epic. 
I do, but I do. I still go back to my original argument that your that your wins in a different weight class don't transfer over to another weight class, and I don't believe they ever should. Uh, if you want, if, if if his goals, he should just focus on the featherweight tournament. After that, uh, you know, then he can start doing some fights, some more fights at at bantamweight. Until then, I Archuleta should just be focusing on that featherweight tournament. And then, and I'll I'll be honest, you know, if if there's, you know, I'm guessing that they're not gonna do defense for Horiguchi this year since he won it. I guess the defenses will start next year. Well, actually, he's gonna probably end the year with a rising title defense, but next year will definitely be the year where he starts the Bellator title. Defense. Great, that's enough time to give Patrick Mix a few a few more fights, and you know, potentially a few more wins, and then I would definitely say that Mix would definitely be the next contender if his if if his streak of wins continue. Um, yeah, yeah, he's got to right now be considered one of the hottest prospects at 135 in the world. You know, James Gallagher, you know, I mean, he's got he's got a fight coming up right in uh, Dublin, I think, right? London, I think. Oh, sorry, London. Um, Isn't it this weekend? Isn't he fighting this weekend? I'm, I'm, all, I'm still glowing. And, I think it's... And so, yeah, it's, 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 it's this weekend. Um, uh... Fabiano. Yes. The guy in the yes, uh, Jeremiah Labiano from. Uh, I can't tell if he's Asian or if he's Spanish. Looking at his picture, <laughs> he's one of those. Um, from uh, where is he from again? California, California. Um, but uh, you know, I have a question though. What do you do with Ricky Bandeas now? He's on a two-fight losing streak against Archuleta now and. Uh, um, and, uh, oh my god, I'm forgetting it. Make him weigh in his options, because when it comes down to a guy who's fighting a two-fight losing streak, you gotta think about, what is he even good for? No, I mean, they're not, not on two losses. I mean, they, they hold on to the right people longer than that. Like they will with Pico, they'll keep him around. Here's know. what I've noticed that... Here's what I know with Bellator is that when if you go on a little bit of a losing streak, the the most that they do is they'll put you on the prelims, at most. They don't. Like they try to keep people with momentum. At least one of the two fighters in any given matchup on the on the main card has momentum. You know, usually, or either that or PR momentum. But yeah, on the prelims, they're not they're not also win and loss as the UFC. Even the UFC these days isn't like they used to be. Well, here's the thing as well. There was a time when the UFC was not releasing any fight, virtually almost any fighters, just because they didn't want to go into Bellator. That lasted for like about a year or two. But I think now it's just, it's, I think that UFC is just, so they're just, I think it's just not a concern of theirs anymore. Um, that anybody goes to Bellator. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious to know as as well. Um, do, uh, do, are there any were there any attendance figures that came out for this show? Uh, yet. Christian, did you see anything about about attendance figures for for the Bellator show? Um. Uh, what 
did not. I mean, have you? Nope, I haven't yet. And usually you hear them by, like, you know, we get Ryzen's usually the day of or the day after. I'm just surprised we haven't heard anything yet. Um, I mean, it looked it looked nice and crowded, at least when the main card started. Um, so hopefully it did draw well. And, uh... I gotta also say something as well about this Bell Tour uh, 222 card. So, um, as you probably know, you know when you have 18 fights, there's bound to be something that goes wrong. Someone fighter misses weight, someone gets injured, and you have to cancel. Yes, I gotta say something that it looks like. I think all the all the fights that were originally were were promoted all went on without any without any sort of issue. I don't think there was one fight that got canceled or had to be rebooked. Uh, and there was no fighter that 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 missed that missed weight. I went to the official weigh-ins. Every fighter may wait, uh, towel or no towel. So it was. I'm just surprised. 18 fights and not one screw up. For, for... You know, the stars, the stars aligned, and the MMA gods for once in our lives smiled on an event. That's how special the card was. They were like, "No, this one's actually stacked. Leave this one. Let's look at these other ones. You know, brace for those for London pull-ups. We've already had some." Which is like. You know that's almost unheard of at this point. Like it feels like ev like on every UFC card, there's a one fighter who misses weight, or there's a fight that has to be rebooked for because of whatever reason. Um, do, you think, do you think part of that is because Coker is open to doing things that catch weights? Like he's not against it. Yeah, that's the other thing as well. Like, if that's their best weight, they just book it at that weight because what the fuck? I think that's clever. I don't think there's anything wrong. I think we'll talk about that with the next, uh, with the Dylan Dance fight. There's nothing wrong with doing catch weight. It's the problem is when that becomes almost too much of a thing. Now, you're saying in Japan, Ryzen, they book catch weights for the most part until there's like a, a title fight. So there's a little bit, I understand that from a perspective, but also, I don't know, like, if the, I feel like if you do too many catch weight, it's almost kind of like, I don't want to say cheating. But it's kind of, it's, you're almost, you're almost gaming, you, I don't know, I kind of just want to see people fight at the weights that they normally compete at. When you do that catch weight, I don't know, it's just, you know, like the Lindsey Van, sorry, oh, it's Lindsey Van Zandt and Reyna. The reason that I was at catch weight is because Reyna had difficulty getting down the bantam weight uh, for their initial, for the uh, fight in December, uh, and uh, that was at 105, or no, no, 108 in uh, Ryzen. So this one... Uh, was at one, this was at one, what was, this was at, uh, I think it was at 112, I think this, this weight was, uh, for Reyna and Lindsey Van Sant. Uh, yeah. yeah. It was 112 pounds. So, I didn't realize they were so small. Yeah. And Lindsey Van Sant even said that, you know, she's a small atom weight. And, yeah, comparatively to, to Reyna, I don't know, she looked much smaller than Reyna. In my eyes, but nonetheless, you know, I think you could do catch weights up until a point, and then it becomes a little bit too much of a gimmick, and it starts to become almost tiresome. That's just my eyes. Um, I, I agree. If, I agree if it was too often, but um, say like with Dennis, right? He's only had two fights. They both been at one seventy-five. Well, 
If he's still getting his diet and everything together to where yeah. he can come from at 170, fuck it. He's not getting into title contention fighting relative gimme fights. Not relative, no, no disrespect, kind of, but relative gimme fights at 175. So it's not like an insult to people in title contention. You know, Dennis has got the only title he's going for is the Dennis weight belt, the imaginary belt he's been talking about. Or is That's he? Fine. You I, have as I t- as when he told me during the my interview with him for MMA Sucker, he calls it Dennis Waite, which I thought yeah, was very funny. Uh, yeah. And speaking of uh, Dylan Dennis, let's talk about that fight. The next fight, which was Dylan El Jefe Dennis, fighting in his hometown of New York, defeating Max. Is it Mad Max Humphrey? Was that his name or did Mad he- Max Humphrey? Okay. Yeah, uh, by armbar, first round, 4 minutes, 28 seconds. Uh, as we said, catch weight of 175 pounds. Dylan Dennis still undefeated, 2-0. Uh, Max Humphrey, now 3-3. Three and three. And with this fight, it's funny. We did. It looked like Dennis wanted to finish with punches, but he just couldn't. So he just got, he was like, okay, I'm just going to go back to my bread and butter of, of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and just tap him out, and that's exactly what happened. Um, He was, cause, you know, he's not experienced, so he's been tying people up probably for years, thinking I could just punch the shit out of you. So he got to do it, he got a little ahead of himself, no problem. They sorted it out, he listened, he snapped the arm. Um, uh, what was it, uh, Gordon, uh, not Gordon Ryan, uh, Gary Tonin, who is now with 1FC, he admitted, uh, in his first fight, he won that by, um, I think it was a heel hook uh, in his first MMA match, but in his second match, he, won- he said he wanted to finish with something different. Which is why, if you watch that match, um, he's he even though he had his opponent's back, he was not trying to lock in a, a, a rear naked choke. He wanted to finish just in a different method to show what type of fighter he was. Excuse me, it was his fourth match, not his second. Um, yeah, when, you're as, when you're as good as he is, you can you can sometimes make that decision without going all the shit. Exactly. He's an excellent prospect. But then, just like if, if Cron Gracie decided to dirty box someone out, I would understand. He yeah. Exactly. Um, now we gotta talk about Dylan Dennis. Um, you know, uh, you know what? I, I don't even feel like talking two seconds about him. All I can just say is he's an asshole. But you know, I guess it'll only be a matter of time before people realize, you know, how, how talented he black, how talented he can be while. Being an asshole. That's what I'm trying to say. Well, here, here's what. Be- well, I'm gonna. I'll. I'll, I'll then uh, give you a question, uh, Teep. When do you start? Why? When does he start not fighting at, at Dennis weight anymore? And you start to uh, give him better fighters. I got like crazy. Oh, like when AJ McKee fought, um, oh shit, what's his name? Yeah, I think he was like twelve and two. Dominic Mazzotta, he fought him. Mazzotta moved up to featherweight. Hey, that's a good fight for mix. Well, Dominic Mazzotta, he's a badass. Player. I was gonna say this, Dennis. What about uh, who was who fought on the, on the prelim card and won his match? Haim Gozali. That's a good matchup. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's really 
Yeah, by the way, I just want to say about Haim Gozali, I don't think I've ever seen a more 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 crazy Batman fan by the just by the amount of tattoos of Batman he has all over him. Oh, he, so the Israeli guy, the 49, is he 49, 46, excuse me, 46 year old Israeli guy, tapped, uh, tapped out the Brazilian, um, in the first round by a triangle choke while, 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 while transitioning from an arm bar. It was fantastic. You mean Gustavo Wellison, right? The 36, yes. 36 guy? Yes. You know, I'm realizing that's a fight I didn't go back and watch. It's on YouTube on the... Uh, but going back to Dylan Dennis, so, okay, so you think about, like, three more fights before you actually start giving him, uh, well, here's the thing as well, what about the weight class that he fights at? Will it be at welterweight, or you think it will be at lightweight? Because I think he could probably make lightweight. He said he, could, he said he sees himself eventually possibly making lightweight, but right now he'll be at welterweight, he'll creep down, maybe. Okay. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, so he'll need one of those. So he'll need to fight one of the one of the ass-kicking lightweights. Like maybe a year from now he fights Pitbull, Patricky Pitbull, after Pitbull, however he does in the Grand Prix. He moves up in weight to fight Dennis. That'll be his final test before he gets thrown in with the big dogs at 170. Okay. If he get killed right now. He's not beating Koreshkov, Logan Storley. Um, he's not beating Douglas Lima. He's not beating Rory McDonald. Uh, let me think. Fitch, Fitch, MVP, Daly. Well, no, he could maybe defeat Daly. What about Daly? What about Daly, though? Here's the thing, Daly's Achilles heel... You think so? Daly's Achilles heel has always been submission. He has never been good at submission defense. I see. Like he can get done by someone who's well-rounded and experienced, but that would be a tough. That would be. I would think. I would favor Daly hugely in that. Okay. Uh, Daly suddenly gets really old, but I don't think so. I think uh, he's just underrated. Max Humphrey. What happens with him? Do we ever see him back in Bellator, or was this his? Was this a one-and-done deal? What weight was he at? One seventy-five. Yeah. That's the thing, is that, like, like, here's the thing, like, remember when Jack, Jake Hager, uh, fought that guy, TJ Jones, the, uh, meat packer guy, like, yeah, here's the thing, is that, like, 
That guy, when he was behind the microphone, when he came out, did his entrance, you could tell he had a personality. I felt like there was definitely more that could be made off him after that fight. Max Humphrey didn't really strike me as somebody who's like, you know, like, I really, it was not him that was, you know, that he, he didn't sell the fight at all. It was all Dylan Dennis who was doing all the talking during the, uh, during any of the pre-match Pro, uh, pre-match stuff and all that and all that. At least with T.J. Jones, he was at least you know he was putting his name out there. He was talking not trash, but he was talking. He was talking. He was talking a big game, and it was at least to a point of like, okay, this guy could maybe be a, could be a good underdog story. But Max Humphrey literally did nothing to make me think, okay, maybe he can win. Yeah. Yeah, maybe, maybe they, but maybe they do. Maybe they like what he did. How about, how about you totally, how about this? How about you totally fuck Max Humphrey over? Have him face Hobson Gracie Jr. Just oh, make, uh, But I'm just saying that like that'd be the ultimate fuck you to Max Humphrey. Oh, you take on two of the best jujitsu guys in the world, and you're gonna probably get tapped out again in the first round. Just like, just imagine how how horrible that would be. Huh. In one sense, it's horrible, but for a lot of these guys, when they're fighting on the legit regionals, rather like the belts or prelims, or, or even like a, against a name, it's a step up. Maybe they get one-time sponsors and things. Like, it's it's so you know he might be like fucking right. I'm gonna go try and spoil this guy's night. You know, these guys are confident. Even fighters who lose a lot are very confident people. So it's not it's it would be a fuck you stylistically, but it would also be an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, when it comes to losing, uh, there's some we gotta talk about the next fight, and it was the end of an era with the loser of this fight, Lyoto, the Dragon Machida, defeated Chael, the American Gangster, the People's Champion, the Loudmouth from Oregon, from the meeting streets of what part of Oregon again? Westland. Westland, Westland, Oregon. The guy who. Who 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 saw uh, Nogueira feed a bus, feed a carrot to a bus? So the guy who gave the best advice when you go to Brazil: don't bow your head because they'll knock you out and take your wallets. Chael Sonnen. Yeah, second round, Chael Sonnen got knocked out with a flying knee after trying to go for a takedown, and they got ground and pound until the referee stopped it. Uh, Twenty-two seconds into the second round, and after the match, Chael Sonnen was asked. You know, what's next by Big John McCarthy? And he said, that was it. You know, um, I'm going to hang my gloves up. Nothing. I'm not going to say anything more. I'm, I'm done. And then he just left. And if you actually, I also do recommend, you do see a, uh, he did a uh, pre-show, a uh, post-fight interview of Ariel Hawani, a very emotional one, where he talked about how he promised his dad before he died that he would get a world championship. And, um, unfortunately, it was a very emotional interview that he gave. And it's really sad when you think about it that this guy has been almost on the cusp of many major championships. And just, he could never just get the big one. Um, he did get screwed by a weight cut and won anyway. So, really, he, he earned a championship but structurally didn't actually get it. So I mean, people have been remembering that. 
Well, here's the thing. Let's talk about the the Anderson, the first Anderson Silva fight. You know, one of the biggest uh, drawing matches of all time that got so many m- many fans that were not into uh, MMA into MMA. You got um, Anderson. Uh, you know, he was winning that fight for five rounds, and then suddenly got a la- got triangle choked. He made one mistake, got into Anderson's guard, and got triangle choked very much near the end of the round, uh, and would have won that fight. Probably, and actually was outstriking Silva. As well, a lot of people don't remember that he was actually out, he was really, really outstriking Silva in that in that match, and then. Sorry, Christian. Sorry, Christian. Go ahead. He tried to keep up the pace with him. And the second match, uh, nothing. It was nothing like the first match. He tried for a spinning elbow, fell on his ass, and got punched until the referee uh, stopped it. Uh, well, he got he got knee, but he just kind of sat there. It was like he was kind of like. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then he got knee. It was weird. It was a weird ending. And every time he brings up pride fights being fixed, I'm thinking like, dude, you had the weirdest ending of any of those. You know, like that was weird to me. Um, but maybe he just phased out. He got, you know, whatever. The match that he had with, um, he had the match with, um, um, the match that he had with, uh, da 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 John Jones, light heavyweight. Um, John Jones breaks his his big toe. In the middle of uh, 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 in the first round, and had it gone, and had it gone to the second round, um, probably he would have won it, cause to- Jones's toe was entirely broken, like 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 literally hanging off. Uh, but uh, Jones uh ground and pounded. Exactly. So again, close to winning championship, but uh, no cigar. Bellator, he comes to Bellator. Uh, beats Tito Ortiz. Just kidding. Um, he, uh, he, uh, he, he comes, he, he's in the semifinals of the Bellator Heavyweight Grand Prix. He beats, uh, Rampage Jackson. Um, Rampage in the quarterfinals. excuse me. And in the beginning of the, um, of the, of the, um, who did he beat, uh, originally when he... Yes, yeah, in the in the sem in the fi- in the semifinals. But who did he beat in the um in the in the in the beginnings of the uh, tournament? Wanderlei. Wanderlei, that was it. Oh, I believe he beat Rampage. I was like, shit. I thought he lose that one. And uh, yeah, so you know he uh, he uh, semifinal of Fedor, and um, I mean he did get he did again get finished by Fedor, but you know uh, he was still on the cusp of possibly winning the heavyweight championship. If he had very little, no chance. He's been so close to championships, but just never has, never got it. And then... Right. But, yeah, you know, but if he would have won that heavy title, he would have better believed that there would have been no podcast or no media career for him. But here's the thing. We cannot deny... Listen, he's a guy who's paved the way for people like Conor McGregor, like Manel Capes, people who talk and sell fights with their mouths. They may not be the best fighters... But they sell. They sell. They sell matches. And whether you like it or not, that is an important aspect of MMA now. Is the selling of fights. Um, and That's true. And boxers do it all the time as well, so it's not new. Oh yeah. But like for MMA, I feel like he was really one of the. I don't consider Tito Ortiz because MMA was still. It was. I don't want not fringe, but it was still. Chael Sonnen brought in an audience that had never even 
who who probably didn't even know who Anderson Silva was. He went from basically the mid-card Shell Sonnen and made himself a main eventer based on being able to sell fights. Very rarely does that happen. Most people st- who are B-level players stay B-level players and, you know, people who, you know, people who who, stay in, who who are main eventers always stay in the main event. But he went from he went from base he went from being this yeah to like a gatekeeper to a guy who was headlining shows on pay per view and on television and I think I know a lot of people don't like him because they think that now because of him that it's now more about the selling of the fight with the mouth than with the skills but he definitely brought in a whole new audience for MMA uh, that I don't I guess this maybe still watch MMA or at least was watching while he was. In UFC, and pro- he also probably brought that uh, audience as well to Bellator when he uh, went over there, and yeah, you know, there's, I think that p- when people try to like, you know, he's he's beaten he he he's been a long list of fighters. He beat Shogun, he beat Bisbing, um, he's been a lot of people who were t- who were, who were future champions or possible future champions or top teners, and I think. Think that uh, I think he uh, I think he went out even though he lost and I think this is his second loss. Um, he went on a high note. You know he's gonna be having he he's gonna be ha- he can go into pro wrestling. He can he can stay as a commentator, announcer, analyst, whatever you want to wh- whatever. He's got a great mind for business. I wouldn't even you know what Scott Coker even said. Hey Chael, I want you to help me promote shows and book fighters. I th- he's always wanted to go into promoting. It seems like so. I think he could definitely um, do that. I mean, he also, Team Quest. You know, he, he's he's looking after Brent Primus. You know, who's definitely a, a future. Uh, well, I mean, a former Bellator lightweight champion, but who's definitely going to be a, a mainstay in Bellator. And, and possibly a future champion. That's a badass young man right there. Exactly. Yeah. That it deadened it his legs, so everyone was like, you don't get credit. I say, fuck those people. I gave them all the credit. I was like, Ernesto, who's shit? I was like, fucking right. What do you, what, Christian, what do you, what, what is your assessment of Chael Sonnen's career as an MMA fighter and as a guy who talked the, the big game and brought in such a big audience for MMA? Well, when I originally heard of him, I thought he was just a guy with an overinflated ego, but this dude... He became a legend just by, you know, not only talking the talk, but walking the walk in this case. And I'm pretty sure that even though his fight career didn't go so well, I mean, I'm pretty sure his media career will probably be ten times better. And still, even though he had like a few lucky breaks, he probably should have been a world champion. Well, I mean, he's retiring at 42 on a on a 30-17-1 streak. I mean, uh, well, MMA record. That's a good record. 30-17-1 is a pretty darn good record. Um, yeah. I one time in Pan Grace and I think a few times in Brasil outside the UFC as well. Exactly. And he's got wins over, he's got wins over Shogun, uh, Stan, Bisbing, as I said before, still Wanderlei. Jackson, he's fought at multiple weight classes from middleweight to heavyweight, uh, contended for titles. He's a. You know, he, he, he fought Fedor at heavyweight. He fought Fedor at heavyweight. He gets like the 
Yeah. Um, credit, to, credit to him. He, changed, he helped change the sport, make it bigger. I think so, he definitely did. Um, so with, like, him, like him or not, he was a big factor in the growth of the sport. you got to give him that credit. And he, he had some high-level wins. Here's, here's the thing. GSP... Especially in the late 2000s as well, because there was not that many people who had like an ego as big as him that Um, here's the thing as well, you know, let's be honest, GSP's whole, you know, you know, thing of, of selling, of, of being basically, I'm the best fighter, you know, you're coming in to see the best fighter, not to see shit talking, I think that eventually would have worn his welcome, eventually. You need, you need some people to, who stir the pot, who get people angry, who, you know, who play the heel, and he did that, he did that immensely. I, I go watch the interview I did with him on MMASucker.com. Where he's saying that Ryan Bader couldn't draw flies, and that the that the water bottle that he was drinking could be the light heavyweight champion over Ryan Bader. He is an incredible promo. He he underst he understands the MMA MMA game and the selling of fights so well. I wish so many other fighters who 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 feel who who can do it would would emulate him. Like Henry Cejudo, he has always said that Henry Cejudo needs to market himself better. And guess what? Cejudo's doing that now, and guess what? Cejudo's more interesting now than he's ever been in his entire career um, as, as an MMA fighter. He's getting the I, I like I, he's actually like I'm actually interested in his progression uh, career wise. So I see, but didn't you also talk to Cheryl about you know possibly getting into professional wrestling? Oh, I think he'll. De- I think he. Well, he thinks. I don't know if he was if he if he was if he was working me, but he thinks that AEW that WWE is funding AEW, which I don't know if I I don't I don't think I don't know if he was working me, but he, I could definitely see him going to a pro wrestling organization, whether it's WWE, maybe even AEW. I mean, he was uh, he did do stuff for Global Force Wrestling when they were around as a commentator. Um, whether he trains in pro wrestling, I don't know. He might just—it might be just something like he's too old for. Or he might think he's too old for, um, and and that you know, just getting to you know, unlike Tom Waller. Tom Waller is in his—I think he's in his thirties. Chael Sonnen's forty-two. He might just want just not want to go through that, you know, learning how to fall down a million times uh, to earn a paycheck. Because if he falls down, he probably might not be able to get back up. Exactly. Um, Okay, quickly, uh, Machida, is he next in line for the uh, for the light heavyweight championship, uh, Teep? Yeah, it depends on the timing of the Bader fight. Uh, maybe they have him fight Namcoff or Jerry. I would like to see Prohaska come in and fight. Like, I, it's, it comes down to, I think, when Bader's fighting Congo and whether or not he fight, vacates light heavyweight to fight the heavyweights. Okay. So it's, it's hard to say. There's a lot going on with Masasi. Well, yeah, but here's the thing. Bader, uh, Bader will be fighting uh, heavyweight next. Uh, as Coker said, he'll be fighting Czech Congo. When I don't know, but uh, that's the next fight that he said. So light heavyweight championship is on is on a little bit of a hiatus until then, until after that. But uh, you know, I think that I think that Mishida, you know, if they want to do Mishida versus Nemkov for as as a uh, just a number one contender, I have no problem with that. I think that'd be a very interesting matchup as well. Okay, uh, Christian. Since uh, Teep's gotta go, we're, we're gonna move on to the next. Back. Oh, you're gonna. I can call back. Were there more fights? Oh, there's one more fight. Yeah, 
Yeah. Okay. Never mind. So yeah, the main event was Roy McDonald defending the welterweight championship uh, in the World in the welterweight Grand Prix uh, quarterfinal uh, semifinal against Neiman Gracie. Who I don't know what's his relation with the Gracie family. Is he Renzo Henzo's son? Is is he a Christian? Do you know naming naming Gracie is his son or his nephew? What is he? I don't even know. I think I heard on the commentary that naming Gracie was Henzo's cousin. Oh my God. Okay. Well, uh, Roy McDonald beat him. Yes, decision. Handed Gracie his first loss. Uh, and uh, you know, what do you think, uh, Teep? Roy McDonald. What do you think of him during this fight? Did we see? Uh, the old Roy McDonald, or did we just do we continue to see this 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 hesitant I'm I'm a Christian man McDonald during this match? No, his his, his pacing as far as okay, you see someone bounce right in between striking. Like Fedor was always so dangerous because he had that twitch speed in his feints and things, and just his little movements were like they were so it just smelled of danger. Rory was much faster in his bounce in this fight. He was much more amped up, but he he wasn't. Wild. He wasn't some like you know, because he has like the meme about him about being a serial killer. But really, he had the same skills and a very intelligent approach, and he instantly got out of very dangerous positions doing the exact right thing. So I would say he's not necessarily back the same he was before. But a cool-headed Rory McDonald is fucking scary, and he needs to be, else he's getting jacked up by Phenom Lima. Uh, I had Lima as the tournament favorite. Christian, what do you think about this fight? Well, here's the thing, I, you know, a lot of people picked Neiman Gracie, but I don't know if people remember this. Roy McDonald fought Damian Maya and managed to not get caught in, in really anything dangerous when he fought Maya. So I went based on that, on this fight, that I think that basically the same thing was going to happen, that Gracie was just going to try the same things, same, same like his bread and butter jiu-jitsu, but Roy McDonald's already fought people like that uh, in Maya, and he defeated Maya. And that's kind of basically what happened, except for five rounds. Um... Well, here's the thing. I'm surprised he didn't use utilize the utilize just kicks in general. Cause we saw what happened with the Lima fight. You know, Rory, you know, was basically hopping on in that match. He should have just. Uh, I, I think. I think Gracie should have done that more uh, instead of just trying to bring it to the ground. You know, that's you know, that's that's just my opinion, but. Yeah, I'll be honest. I didn't think that Roy McDonald was that impressive. I think he's definitely he's definitely lost a step. And I think that the, the regardless of what happens in the Lima fight next and uh, the finals of the Grand Prix, I think that Roy McDonald's going to retire. He's definitely not the same Roy McDonald that is that I remember. He's no longer the Red King anymore um, of MMA in my eyes. What's his nickname now? I don't, the Christian King. Uh, the king of the king of God. I have no idea. He's I don't know. He always mentions religion so much. That I'm just like I don't know. Like I don't know. He'll, be, he'll, he'll take some. He'll take something like uh, epic 
Oh yeah, he started when he was sixteen in like in, in Canada. Um, he won the he was like one of the yep. first one of the first fighters to be trained in MMA, not one specific martial art, but just in MMA. Um, uh, uh, what about Neiman Gracie? Uh, what happens next with him? He'll still keep going, probably, because Bellator needs to, you know, waste their money on the Gracie name some more. I mean, which is why they got Hobson. And and they got Henzo, and they got Hoist. Always. I always, you know, you can always hear, you, I was hearing Henzo just screaming and in, in Portuguese and Neiman to do, uh, uh, I don't even remember what it was, but you can just hear him. Uh, yeah, because we all know that if, Henzo would have been screaming in English. They would have been needing the cuss button a few times. I won't lie, though. If, if Dylan Dance goes, if he just did a lightweight, I would be immensely intrigued by Neiman Gracie versus Dylan Dennis. It's just an MMA fight. There's some steam on that, but uh, I don't know if they think Dance. I, I actually know they don't think Dance is ready for that kind of fight. But eventually, two or three fights from now, What about, what about Fitch? Yeah, man. Fitch, Fitch is fucking high level. He's getting no credit. And he, he, he Fitch Rory McDonald. You don't Fitch Rory McDonald. He did it anyway, so he should get more credit. And, uh, yeah, some, he needs a high level fight. He needs something. Neiman versus Fitch would be very interesting, I think. As a, on a technique level. Not necessarily on an excitement level, but on a technique level. Like, can this really happen? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But overall, it was a great card, um, and oh my, yeah, this is definitely one of the best shows of the year, in my opinion. It was just a, such a fantastic card overall, um, prelims and main. Curious to know, Teep, what was your fight night, and who would you give two performances of the night to? Oh man, I'll give everything to Patrick Mix. Mm -hmm. Christian, what about you? Um, I think my performance of the night goes to, obviously, Kiyoshi Horiguchi. But I think when it comes down to actual finishes, I would say... Uh, Damsel Van Zandt got hers. I would say that Patrick Haas did well. I would basically say that, yeah, even the other Machida got his in because obviously we know how damn well he did it but still I just think that this show was a pretty damn good show and I won't be surprised if something like this I mean I won't be surprised if Bellator and Rise and have this great partnership with each other because it seems like they just go so well together absolutely yeah uh for me don't, don't forget the London card guys ah uh, yes When is it? That's Friday. Well, hold on. Is it Friday live or are they doing it? Is it going to be preempted? You know, I'm not sure. I'll have to find out. It's probably going to be preempted on the Paramount Network later that evening. Well, uh, just to give my picks uh, Mix, obviously, and Archuleta uh, for those two oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. awesome finishes. 
Friday night. Jeez, I don't know. That's a tough one. That's a tough one to pick. You know what? I might have to go with Valerie Rueda and Larkin Dash. Honestly. They really, both of them, you know, especially Larkin Dash, who is 0-1, like, and she started throwing, she started throwing, she started throwing down, you know, uh, and actually knocked down Rueda a few times. I thought that was actually, that was a really exciting fight to watch. That really, really was. Um... There was, yeah, there was really, yeah, yeah, I mean, there was really no bad fight in the card, There's there's really just like, you know, there was some boring, okay fights, but nothing that just made me go, ugh, and, no, there, was no, there was no MVP daily on this card, it was either like, okay fights, or really great, or epic fights, like, well, and finishes. Caldwell and Koraguchi was kind of going that direction, but you had Horiguchi who was trying to like, not fall into that trap. And uh, luckily, came away with a W, as well. Right, that one started off thrilling, and then the rest of the fight was was like more like the excitement of what it looked like was happening. Haraguchi turning the tide. The first few minutes were good, were like dynamic. I was like, holy shit, he's gonna knock this dude out. He's gonna get keep the wrist ride and knock him out with an elbow. Yes, so, yeah. You know, I gotta say, I hope that Bellator can keep this momentum. You know, um, and. Um, just continue with it, uh, because... There's a, of, there's a lot of good stuff coming up. We should do a preview show, maybe not just the London card, but just do the next few cards all at once, the major fights. There's some good shit coming up. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll try. I mean, you know, hopefully they'll do a full Ryzen versus Bellator show eventually, you know, like in Hawaii or something. That'd be, uh, uh, that'd be a great thing to do, you know. Just have, like, a, like, a, yeah, just have, like, a, a ten-fight card. Best fighters from Ryzen, best fighters from Bellator... Uh, have a champ, have two championships, you know, uh, yeah. decided in the co-main or main or whatever, you know, just have something like, I think that'd be a really great card to have. Uh, get, uh, you know, that, you know, that, that would be a zone if you want, if you want to sell the zone, um, things, uh, uh, of subscriptions, that'd be a great way to sell the zone subscriptions, um, as well. Uh, just, and while I'm just going to quickly mention that uh, Patricky Pitbull, I think it is, right? Is it Patricky? Yeah, Patricky yeah. Pitbull Fury is now official. He's going to be a part of Ryzen Lightweight Grand Prix, according to Mike Skite of MMASucker.com just this past Friday. Just making sure, because I'm... Cause, uh, the people, uh, Christian and I were talking b- before off off air about the uh, how I'm get c- confused by both Pitbull brothers because they look exactly the same and they both have Pitbull and I cannot tell the difference between the two. So okay, Patricky mm-hmm. is going what over. What you need to know, Mike, and what you need to know, Andrew, is that Patricky is the one who lost to Chandler. Patricio is the one who defeated Chandler to become the new lightweight champion. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. I think I'm going. Yeah, Oh yeah, because he's with Shuto. Wasn't he? Didn't he fight Shuto? Yeah, uh, Shuto Martillo. He, he fought in the cage and stopped 
stomp the shit out of the dude. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, you have, I mean, you have that to look forward to as well. Um, but, T, yeah, before, before you go, uh, we also want to do a King Mo retrospective if you got time for that. Why don't you guys start it, and then I'll just come, I'll just dial you back in four minutes. Okay, Let, let's do that. Uh, Christian, you're a King Mo fan. You picked him to beat Jerry Prochaska. I want to give you the honors of starting off uh, talking about the about the uh, career of King Mo, who just recently announced his retirement from MMA. Well, if you think about it, here's a guy who got his starts not only doing combat sports, but basically, I mean, not only doing MMA, but combat sports in a pretty weird way. I mean, people basically... I mean, the dude was basically like a word of mouth type of story. He tried to, you know, make the best of his situation that he was living in Murfreesboro, Tennessee with his siblings and with his mother and father. And obviously he moved down to Dallas, Texas or the North Texas area just to get a better opportunity. And that's basically what led to him getting a high school championship in the UIL state ranks back in 2000 at Plano East High, but still, this dude is a top, this dude was a top wrestler, a top NCAA wrestling standout who became a big time MMA star, who fought his first four fights in Japan, and retired a legend on the fifth fight, before becoming a big star, and even though... All King Mo managed to get was the Strike Force Light Heavyweight title, and even that whole reign was controversial because of that one fight he had with Lorenz Larkin that turned into a no contest due to drugs in his system. He managed to make the best of probably one of the greatest careers that an African American would have in these martial arts, not just in combat sports. And when he went to Bellator, I was pretty damn surprised because I thought the UFC would have snatched him up. I thought Dana White saw something in him despite his, you know, difficulties. But even though his Bellator career didn't last, I mean, even though his Bellator career wasn't really too good of a note to talk about, I mean, yeah, even though he has a 10-6 and record in the promotion, but he lost two times for the light heavyweight title. His rising career was probably the better highlight of all three of those career stops that he had. Well, actually, all four, Sengoku, which he started off undefeated 4-0 and had that promotion would have stayed around, he would have easily been their heavyweight champ. But, still, all in all, Wall has been nothing more but an entertaining force in the world of combat sports. And even though his wrestling career, I mean, even though his pro wrestling career didn't really put too much of a dent, he could have done more impact wrestling. But I still think that King Mo will go down in history as probably one of the better fighters to ever not only get through, you know, wrestling, because he did win national championships in the NCAA and then internationally and then for a short-lived promotion called Real Pro Wrestling, which was amateur wrestling, but still. King Mo, by far, is one of the uprated greats. 
and hopefully when he goes and trains the next generation of American top team, but I'll probably get some pro wrestling bookings on the side. I just hope that he'll, you know, teach the next generation about his story, and hopefully they'll learn from it. What do you think about his, uh Would you say that his probably his most memorable knockout, because he has many knockouts on his career, was against uh, Hodger Gracie from Strike Force? Because uh, did Ro- didn't uh, Roger go flying or something like or like he just like I remember that being a very memorable knockout. It's been a while since I seen it, but I, rem- I remember that knockout being like one of those um, highlight real knockouts. What about the um his his uh his his feud with Emmanuel Newton? Um, oh yeah, I mean it's sad because yeah, even though now we know that Emmanuel Newton is a beaten up old fighter. Who was who's currently on his last legs? I mean, if you've seen him compete in Eurasia Fight Nights and in those fucking Russian scab promotions, but still, I think that the one thing that he—I mean, I think that it would have been easy for him to defeat Emmanuel Newton had we known that you know Newton was a nobody. Well, I'm not trying to discredit him. I mean. Newton's special in his own little way. I mean, he's a former light heavyweight champion. But, I do think that King Mo should have beaten Newton in one of those two fights that they had. That was probably the second one, because the first one, Newton finished him with that spinning back elbow, and the second one went to decision. Uh-huh. Uh, now, let's talk a little bit about, about uh, when did he start going by King Mo? Do you happen to know that? Um, when did he start wearing honest, the crown and start doing start doing the whole King Mo thing? To be honest, he started doing the whole King Mo thing when he... Well, funny story. He was supposed to have signed a WWE contract prior to going into MMA, which would require him to go down and wrestle in Ohio Valley Wrestling down in Louisville, Kentucky. But I guess, you know, with him following into MMA and obviously with his Sengoku career, <laughs> he basically adapted that pro wrestling style to his work in Japan because obviously it was a good place for him to go to. And this was before Dream really got off. I mean, this was before Dream really got off the bat. But still... I think it was basically, I mean, I think how he got that name, he pretty much got it from, you know, trying to get into professional wrestling, and since that didn't work, he went to Sengoku and made the name stick, especially with three straight knockouts over Travis Veal, Fabio Silva, and Yuki Kanaito. What do you what do you about what are your thoughts on him starting his career in Japan and also you know his fourth excuse me fifth fight was against Mark Kerr seventh fight against uh, Gegard Mousasi which which was in Japan but he seemed to really when he started out was facing pretty much high level competition as soon as he got in. Uh, mm-hmm. no- and if you think about it, his fourth fight was against future middleweight king of Pan Grace, Rio Rocky Kawamura. So. He was not given, like, 
What do you think about him? About now, he was in heavy. He fought a heavyweight and he fought a light heavyweight. Do you think? I know that one of the things that he talked about before he said he was going to retire this year is that he wanted to fight a middleweight for his last fight in Ryzen. Could he have fought a middleweight? Do you think? And maybe he had a more. I don't want to say it's not that he wasn't successful, but do you think he could have been a powerhouse in middleweights? Talk about his his feud with Quentin Jackson, uh, one and one. Um, I know not the most exciting fights in the world, but uh, I think one was done a light heavyweight and the other one was done a heavyweight, both in Bellator. Um, definitely, would you say it was well? Those those are not the high points of his career, probably, right? Yeah, fucking think. I mean, but I do think that those three, I do think that those two should have had a third fight. You know, complete the trilogy. Yeah. Now let's talk about his rising career. Which I mean, because obviously you all cheated because this is back hound page, by the way. Yeah. Oh yeah. Against Little King Mo and either one of them really displayed any knockout power in either of those fights. Maybe they would have had a third. Maybe if they would have had a third fight, chances are the fight would have ended in a knockout. Yeah. Uh, it's, oh, I don't know. Like. If, but his last finish was was actually Jiri's uh, when he, when uh, he finished Jiri in the uh, heavyweight Grand Prix in Ryzen, and after that all his all his wins were just uh, his two wins were decision wins, and I could tell you I, I saw his I saw his fight with uh, Jackson in Bellator, I saw his fight against Ishi uh, Satoshi Ishi in uh, Bellator. Uh, don't even get us. Don't even get me started about Satoshi Ishii. That dude is a fucking eyesore for a fighter. I think, I think, no think was the Ryzen Grand Prix. I, I think so too, and I think that he won the Ryzen Heavyweight Grand Prix in 2015. You no, know, well, Ryzen's first mm -hmm. foray, it uh, coming back. You know, uh, Sakaki Sakaki well, Actually, it was Nobuyuki Sakaki Bar's first foray back into MMA since the old Pride FC days. Yeah. So yeah, that was. Yeah, I Yeah, no, he you know he he starts Jiri. He finished Brent Med Brett McDermott in the first round. Uh, basically, uh, out grapple Theodorus Oscar. Os I don't even know how to pronounce his last Os name. Yes, the um, where's he from? He's from uh, Lithuania, right? I think he's from. Yeah, Lithuania. Yeah. Lithuania, more specifically. But uh, obviously, most people remember it as it as the fight where. Jerry got um got, got his first loss in many 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 uh, uh after a while and uh, knocked out Jerry with a with a beautiful punch and uh, got that Absolutely. trophy. Um, and then Pro has won eight since he's only lost one of his last twenty fights and that was to King Mo. So you gotta give a lot of credit to King Mo. And then uh he uh he continued on with Ryzen the uh, Openweight Grand Prix, which uh uh was originally supposed to be 
Krokop versus Wanderlei, but Wanderlei pulled out due to an injury, and uh, uh, that's when uh, they uh, they replaced him with King Mo. Um, and I. I Uh, yeah, I was there for that fight, and, you know, he wore, he wore the wrestling shoes, he was, you know, taking down uh, Crow Cop, but you know what? When you get punched by Crow Cop, doesn't matter what weight class you're at, whether you're a flyweight or a light heavyweight, you're going down. And if not, you're going to... Left hook landed hard in the corner, and then the Crow Cop did the same left hook, knocked you out to Alec Barry. Not the same positioning, but the same technique. Left hook, so, you know, it wasn't an accident. He fought Krokop in the fucking ring. What, that was probably the likely outcome. Exactly. Exactly. Credit to him for trying, though. That's some giant balls to go and fight Krokop. Short notice. What the hell? Yeah. In a ring. It is, it is specialty. Mm-hmm. That'd be like jumping in to fight. That'd be like being a ring heavyweight, jumping in to fight Daniel Cormier in the cage. Like, let me just jump in here with this legend. In his specialty. What the fuck? And, uh, fortunately. Uh, uh, King Mo's last win was against Quinton Jackson at Bellator 175 in 2017, Mar- March of 31st, 2017, which was a heavyweight match. And then after that, he went on an unfortunate three-fight losing streak, getting finished in the first round by Ryan Bader at Bellator 199, then Liam McGeary in round three at Bellator 213. And then his last fight, he began in Japan, and he finished in Japan, getting knocked out by Jiri Prochaska at Rise of 15. Uh, to crown the inaugural Ryzen Light Heavyweight Champion. So, it's a career, interesting enough, he started in Japan, started in Tokyo, finished in Yokohama. Yokohama is in Tokyo, so he, where he started... Well, not really. Yokohama is in the Kanagawa prefecture. Ah, it's close enough to Tokyo, I'm going to count it this time. I'm going to count it. It's okay. For argument's sake. But he basically got to finish his career, in, start his career in Japan, and he finished there. And, uh... Yeah, uh, what do you think? What do you think overall, Teep, about King Mo as an MMA fighter? Is he underrated? Does he get the right due that he gets? Uh, what do you think? I don't. I wouldn't say that he's apt any at any chance overrated. But what do you? What do you? What is your assessment of his career? Christian, I want to ask you about his pro wrestling career. He did fight a few years in in, in TNA. What do you think about him as a pro wrestler? Well, he wrestled in Impact Wrestling, which used to be total nonstop action wrestling. He competed at... I mean, his last match, if I'm not mistaken, his last match was a tag team match with Bobby Lashley against... Tommy Crimson Mayweather and no, he's not related to Floyd, thankfully. (laughs) (laughs) 
and Jack Stane, the Vanilla Gorilla at Russell Cage Question: What What do you think? That, if you remember, he had a very serious staff infection um, in his career. Uh, I forgot what year it was, but he had a very serious staff staff infection. I think was near fatal to him, and it said that it ate away a lot of so much of his hip. He was able to see his muscle and bone. How much do you think that staff infection affected his career? Yeah, literally. I mean, I think if he would have retired just after the, I think if he would have retired just after the Musashi fight, he comes back to infection, you know, we would have realized how serious it was. What about his career as a as a as a, as a division one NCAA division one wrestler? Do you think that just also all those years took took tolls on his knees, legs, and it just it just sped up um, his um. Him slowing down as as his, as 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 his fights got on much later and later. Yeah, probably so because of the fact that you're kind of like a Kane thing, like like Kane Velasquez thing, where uh you know. Mm-hmm. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to jump jump in there. I was just saying, Weidman. Some of these guys, they they're such a high level wrestler. They get they have injuries from that. Come if they have a full collegiate career, they get inevitable suffer. Like DC had a freestyle career afterwards. I think six national championships. He's fucking epic. Not, you know, not NCAA. He was also epic, but like, you know, he was the best in the country at the time. But it takes a toll, you know, guys. Like, Pico might peak. He's 22. He might peak at 27, 28. And then he would trail off, retire, go on other things. You know what I mean? Like, because he started at four, I think. You know, some of these guys, they're going to put it on their body. But although fight training is a lot harder, so. Yeah, it took a toll. King Mo was supposed to fight Ryan Bader, and uh, and he, he got his hip resurfaced instead. Just, just as an example, right? It hurt him. He put a lot of wear and tear, but I, he had excellent skills. Don't you mean that Aaron Pico can maybe Pico? Oh, Lord. Um, that's <laughs> terrible. That's a bad joke. But that's okay. I got no joke. That's worse. But uh, regarding King Mo, um, Christian... Assess his career. Where do you think he stands in the in the MMA world? Is he is he? Uh, would you say he's underrated? Does he get the credit he deserves? What would you say about his career overall? He's an underrated legend, and I think that a lot of people will probably need to know. I mean, a lot of people will need to know more about him because this dude has done all he can for. Four different organizations, two of which he thrived in, I mean, three of which he thrived 
No, I asked him, are you Johnny Cash in four different organizations? All four of which he's lived in. He's retired legends. He's fought with some of the big names in the sport. So, yeah. I think it's only going to be a matter of time before Queen Mo gets the recognition he deserves. How do you think you think he'll do good? He's he's gonna be a coach for the American Top Team. We all know that. How do you think he'll do as a coach? He's gonna be great. That's a great group. That's a great gift to the gym. You agree, Christian? I agree. And who knows? He fought many of the great. He fought many of the greats of his generation. Even though he didn't go to the UFC, he fought many of the greats of his generation at a couple weights, and uh, you know he. Well, uh, you know, I think, uh, I, also, he did say, you know, if AEW needs a jobber, he said he'll be their jobber, so. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a, all Elite Wrestling. Is, a pro- he as notable as he is, yeah. I don't think he's going to be no damn jobber. He might win a few matches, but he ain't going to be no jobber. That's funny, they bring him in to lose to the stars, you mean? Yeah, basically. A can, basically. Like, like, like the Brooklyn Brawler, for instance? That ain't happening. He could be the Tennessee brawler. Oh god. Um But I think I think I think you both fessed on it up. King Mo, I think he's he's underrated. Um he has a good overall record. Never really got the due he was deserved because, you know, unfortunately when when Strike Force closed down, uh Bellator came around and unfortunately you know, UFC just was basically Gut was was sucking up all the um, all the notoriety, so I think a lot of people did pass him on him as a top light heavyweight and heavyweight. Um, had he gone to UFC uh, at any point, which I don't think he ever would have, uh, as long as Scott Coker was around, he seemed to be a Scott, one of those Scott Coker guys who was always loyal to Scott Coker. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But you know, definitely. But he always seemed to be loyal to Scott Coker. So even if UFC was probably interested in him, I feel like he probably would have stayed with Coker. You know, as long as the money was 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 good enough uh, to stay with Scott Coker. But he always he seemed to be more of a. He definitely seen loyalty to Scott Coker since Strike Force and all that. And now that his um. His career is, uh, you know, it's funny. I was expecting him to fight at the end of this year in Japan because that's what he said he wanted to do. But I guess, uh, I guess somebody at, at maybe ATT or maybe he reflected upon, you know, the fight and just thought that maybe I just, you know what, better to end it now than to, you know, go through any more, any more losses than I've already gone through now. Oh, he did say he had like three or he had three or four ACL surgeries. I think he had a numerous ACL surgeries, like an absurd number. Champion level fighters to be, you know, maybe not while they're champ or whatever, but you don't, you know, 
Question though. Last question. Were there any fights that you want to see King Mo have? And against whom, Teep? King Mo? No, he said he's done. He's done. No, 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 no. You personally as a fan, who would you... Who, was there anybody you wanted him to fight that that never came to fruition that you would have liked to have seen fights? What about you, Christian? Anybody who you've wanted King Mo to fight? I think I would have loved to have seen him fight either. Uh, let's see. I would have. Th- I think I would have loved to have seen him fight either Frank Mir or Bobby Lashley. Hmm. What if Lashley had about like forty pounds on him? Maybe more. Like. Like when you, are you talking about the low kicks? It should be your responsibility to not kick the guy in the nuts. Most guys well, are not going to jump into low kicks to the nuts. Well, no. Here's the thing. Is, I, 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 here's the thing I've realized is that when people, like if you go for a low kick and the other guy changes his position, you're aiming for that leg. And if he, changes, if he comes closer to you, there's just a higher chance you're going to hit him, you know, if he's, if he's leaning down. Or you know, is is that oh, like you're gonna hit him in the balls? You know, an eye poke is different. Well, here's the thing. No, I think knees. I think knees are 100% responsibility if you knee someone in the balls because you should absolutely know where your opponent is and you should have a good enough, uh, a good enough um, image of where where not to kick them. You know, you know, like during the Sebastian Ruiz Mick Mike Kimball fight. There had to be at least two or three low blows during that match, and I think I think Mike Beltron should have got given uh, Ruiz at least uh, after a second one a. Uh, a, a, a yes. Yes. But also here's the. Yes. But also here's the But here's the thing as well. What happens if you know? Let's say if you're on the ground, you're you're on your back, and the guy tries to do a sakuraba, uh, you know, jumping, 
you know, thing or whatever jumping over you, and you put your foot up because you're going to either want to push him away, sweep him, or upkick him, and he just lands on your foot. I don't know, that's, that's not how the guy's on the bottom's fault, in my opinion. Well, like his balls landing your foot. I mean, like he's jumping up. He's gonna try. He's gonna try to jump over. Over. Well, not even with stops. Like if, if if somebody's on their back and you're gonna try to jump over them, or you're gonna try, or you're gonna, or are you going to? Um, oh, you jump onto their, you jump onto their foot. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Like, like, uh, you know, eye pokes though, no excuse. You know if you're eye poking somebody or you're not. I don't know why people, people, why are people, you know, UFC does, there's no one open palm strikes in UFC as far as I know. Why would you, you don't have your eyes, you don't have your fingers out for other than you're looking to eye poke your guy, in my opinion. Uh, well, uh, opponent. That's my personal opinion. I'm Yeah. Actually, actually, they, I would say deduct a point for lead, for leading with the fingers. Let them know, you know, give them a warning if they don't if they don't close their fingers the first time. Second time, they got the point. It, nothing go, is going on, but you know, you gotta send a message that like you you potentially poking someone in the eye. I would rather mitigate that risk rather than it happen, and then you give up deduct a point after the fact. Cause you know what, that ain't gonna matter. If the guy can't see. You know, you need him the face because he has one eye open. It doesn't was that for one point you're gonna ma matter shit. No, I agree. I think I think you should. You know, it shouldn't just be when you when you have an effect breaking rules. It's the fact that you're using it. You're using a certain thing to control distance. Well, that's an, advantage, an unfair advantage. So having the fingers out like that under the jurisdiction to prevent it. Yeah, man. Warning, then a point, then a DQ. Be like, fuck you. You're not even you're not even in the right stance, bro. Uh. Exactly. Yeah. But with that, we do come to an end of the discussion of Bellator two twenty two. And Teep, I want to give you an opportunity to plug where people can reach you, where uh, people can ask you about Bellator or can accuse you of being a Bellator show. Where is the best place where they can go? I'll have to look up. Yeah. I'll, I'll be honest. Other than the James Gallagher match, I honestly don't know um, much of the card. I'll give, you, I'll give you a twenty second. The best fight on that card, other than Lovato and uh, Musafi, is Costello Van Stenis, uh, Musafi's protege, versus um, Mike Shipman from London Shoot Fighters from MVP Gym. Shipman's on like a finish streak or something. Van Stenis on like a four or five fight streak, but they're both killers. It's a knockout artist versus a, uh, like a gr grappling. Like I think I saw his like Ben Stevens and Mohegan Sun. He like got the guy stuck in a triangle or something or an armbar thingy and just elbowed the shit out of him. Too bad. That's the fight to watch. That's the fight of the card. That's like the prospect fight, the hottest one. Will this be available on the zone? Will this be available on the zone or the um 
Bellator app or t Paramount Network? How can people watch it? So is this a Euro show? If it's, if it's not a numbered show, then it's probably live on the Bellator app. That's how they've been doing it. But, uh, you know, free on the Bellator app. But I did look on the zone and it said it's, it's delayed. Ah. Paramount delayed. So it might be one of, they might do both. They might air it live on the app and then, and then take play on TV. But I think this is a, a Euro card. I'm not precisely sure. I haven't seen a numbered hashtag or anything. So I'll find that out though. For the preview show, I will find out. And uh, Christian, this is your wheelhouse. I'm gonna give you all the t opportunity to plug uh, all the We Are Rising stuff. Okay. Well, first of all, you can follow me on Twitter at ChrisGary92. I'll be sure to follow you back. You can also follow myself and Teeth to the Junk at our project. Focus fights. We cover combat sports events and prospects from all around the globe. The scenes of the U.S., U.K., Japan, Russia, South Korea, pretty much everywhere will be emphasized. We are on Twitter at Focus Fights. We are on Facebook, facebook.com slash Focus Fights, and you can subscribe to our YouTube channel. Just search for Focus Fights. As far as the We Are Rising podcast is concerned, you can check us out. On Twitter at We Are Rising Pod, W-E-A-R-E-R-I-Z-I-N-P-O-D, all in one word. Or you can listen to us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, YouTube, and hopefully soon wherever you get your podcast. But still, and also, by the way, you can follow Andrew Benjamin at abenjamin one on Twitter. He privatizes his tweets for a reason. I, I had uh, some uh, issues with the Enoki, uh, Enokius that I had to uh, do that. Also, don't forget, Teep, we get, you gotta plug your, your, your podcast, The Spinning Shitcast. Yeah, that's, I'm still figuring out details. I don't have the stuff. I'll be putting it on Twitter and, and eventually post it to Reddit. I'm gonna have you on. Have Christian. We'll talk some shit. Hopefully, you like, drink while we talk so we get progressively more sloshed as it goes along. You know, to have like a quick 20 minute romp. But, uh, yeah, that's gonna be cool. But we can just leave it at that for now because that's still all under. I'm still figuring out all the details. But hey, let me also just encourage everybody to praise and Dylan Dennis as, as the GOAT that he would be if he didn't have to fight to earn it. And uh, because it riles some people up so much, they take it all personally. How could he this and that? That's good. Guess so what? everyone to praise him as the greatest undefeated catchweight legend of all time. And, and just because there's no reason to like buy into his thing. He's self-aware. So the people who do... <laughs> well, here's the thing. You know what? That's what exactly we talked about with Chael Sonnen. That's what Chael Sonnen brought in. And, uh, you know what? Dylan Dance is continuing that. Get, oh, uh, just a cur curious in case you didn't see the Dylan Dance interview I did with him. When I asked him who his favorite, uh, who his favorite uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu fighter uh, at, at Enogi was, you know who he said? Oh. Dylan Dance. Oh, God. And you all can check that Check that interview out at MMA Sucker.com and the MMA Sucker YouTube channel. And, uh, yeah.
where we will be uh we'll be having more uh more MMA talk, you know, Ryzen, you know, more you know with this this partnership Bellator's doing, we're de definitely bound to have more shows with Ryzen and Bellator. Uh I think it's you know the MMA landscape is going to be looking good in the future, mm -hmm. especially outside the UFC. Mm -hmm. Especially seeing the fact that Ryzen and Bellator are co-promoting. But that's about enough for us. For now, we have reached our queue. So until then, huh, until then, we're just going to let Lenny Hart take us out. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you, Teep. Thank you, Christian. Looking forward to the next one.